since I live here, it's especially <laughs> nice. <laughs> All the rest of them have to travel for a change. At any rate, we're going to start out with a salute to the flag. Wayne, do you want to treat us in that? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I guess we should have roll call. Kathy? Uh, Mr. Gray? Here. Mr. Mayor? Here. Mr. Moss is absent. Mr. Johnson? Here. Mr. Ricucci? Here. Mr. Denayo is absent. Mr. Sedison? Here. Thank you. Uh, it says we're going to have a report from our planning director. I'll bet he's going to give it to us, too. Good morning. Good morning. E.J. Bali with Planning Services Division. I got to see most of you this morning on the way up here. Except for a couple of you need to enjoy the long ride. Uh, just, I just have a few updates this morning. Uh, upcoming planning commission hearings on July 10th. We're bringing the community event center zoning text amendment back uh, for you to make a recommendation to our board of supervisors. Uh, we're also going to hear the uh, Sheridan community plan update that as regard to we're continuing from the last meeting so we can uh, work with the property owner on uh, land use issue. The uh, Board of Supervisors had a meeting on June 17th, uh, and that's when they considered the uh, appeal on Camel's Hump Caretaker's residence. They ended up denying the third party appeal and approved the minor use permit for that. There's going to be a couple board meetings uh, in July. Uh, there's a July 8th meeting down in Auburn. Uh, for the Board of Supervisors and also on July 21st and 22nd. That one will be up here in Tahoe. Uh, for anybody interested, there's going to be the appeal on the Lundberg variance. Uh, there are actually two appeals filed on that of uh, your decision. Uh, the Board of Supervisors will also receive an update on the Village at Squaw Valley project, the specific plan. And they'll also receive a report on the Tahoe community plan update, which you will be receiving more today yourself. And lastly, uh, I just want to let you know that the Planning Services Division has hired a new senior planner, uh, Sherry Conway, who is sitting behind me. Uh, she has uh, worked for the county several years ago, and we're very happy to have her back. And today is her first day, and what better way to uh, have a first day than come up to Tahoe and spend it up here. So anyway, I want to welcome her, and uh, that's all I have, unless you have any other questions. Any questions of EJ? Uh, EJ, you mentioned the 10th for our next meeting, right? Is that yes. what you said? Is there going to be another one in July, or is it just uh, just the 10th at this right point? Right now, just July 10th. Uh, we do have a second meeting scheduled, but I'm not sure we have any items on there yet. Okay. Kathy, you have Possibly the say, but... Yeah, yeah, probably not. I think the applicant's out of town on, on that one. Okay. So, yeah, right now we may not have a meeting, but... Uh, We've been keeping you guys busy every two weeks, so don't be surprised if there, there are, are items that come up. Well, that's good for me. I have CTC on that. <laughs> well, thank I'll you, Eugene. You bet. At this time, we usually allow the public to come up and address the commission on items not on the agenda. If there's anyone that would care to do that, Except for the people standing, oh, no. please come forward. 
if you want if, if you want to talk about things other than what's the, on the agenda good morning good morning Ellie Waller Tahoe Vista resident for the record um, I'm here today I've been to the Board of Supervisors and the TRPA uh, legal committee there is a project that's going on at the lake in Tahoe Vista between the Franciscans um, it is a Martis camp project they're stating that it is a single-family residence I've been at this since March 18th staff has uh, been uh, contacted I've been notified that um, it will be reviewed uh, during uh, occupancy and I just wanted you to hear it before um, I have to write a letter to the newspaper and put it out there I, I believe that this is a change in use and it should have gone through another process uh, again staff has all my records the fire department has my records the TRPA has my records and my dissatisfaction with the process as it's going on um, and and my second thing um, North Star has been pulled from the agenda should I are you going to make a, a comment about it and should I comment then or should I comment now well if you can't come in the future I would suggest you comment then because we're not going to do it but if you want to comment now I guess since it was scheduled no. yeah no oh. what I would say the, the applicant has requested in my own you can hear me I'm pretty loud <laughs> the applicant can uh, requested a continuance uh, so any what I would say is any any hearing on the item B it is your decision to continue that item but it, that'd be done at a different time or the okay. okay I'll comment then thank you all right thanks Ellie anyone else uh, seeing no one else we'll close the public comment and move on to first item Washbourne residence good morning Mr. chairman and the commission uh, Steve Gilman uh, presenting on behalf of planning services division today um, as you indicated the request before you today is a uh, final subdivision modification uh, for the Washburn um, residence where the project is located here. Um, the project itself, uh, the applicants are proposing to construct a new single-family dwelling with uh, an attached garage <coughs> on this currently vacant uh, property out in the Cedar Flat area. Um, the property itself is sited on uh, Fulton Crescent Drive. There's a short section of Fulton Crescent Drive that's uh, currently unimproved. And this property will actually um, gain access uh, from the southern lake direction off of the shared driveway um, to the new residence. There's a, a house under construction just to the uh, west or, or north of the project site. Um, the project includes a small portion of the uh, garage uh, that extends into the 20-foot um, both mount and front setback area. Um, the, the corner of the garage will be approximately 14 and a half feet, 11 feet um, to the eaves. Um, the um, zoning for the area requires a minimum front setback of 20 feet um, from property line. However, the topography of the, the property does drop off from, from the um, roadway location or where the driveway is going to enter um, the front setback area and does meet the slope exception that's contained within the zoning ordinance and the provisions for that that allow the structure to be located closer to the front property line. Um, however, uh, when Fulton uh, Acres number three subdivision was created, 
the lots within that subdivision contain a 20-foot um, setback line that's identified on the um, on the uh, final maps for that subdivision. So what the applicants requested is that we modify um, that for lot 189, the project site, to allow for this um, construction. I should note, and you can see from the um, slide, the aerial uh, in front of you, there are a number of other um, properties that have uh, experienced the same uh, benefit and allowed uh, structures to be located closer to the front property line. It's uh, pretty common in this area, particularly with the heavy snowfall and the topography of the sites and, and consistent with this property. So um, staff's recommendation uh, for you today is uh, that you, you um, approve the applicant's request subject to the findings and recommended conditions of approval as they appear in your staff's report. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions if you have any. Okay, any questions, Justine? I guess you're doing the same. Yeah, I was looking at the maps, and uh, there's reference to a dirt road and a paved road. So there's a dirt road on the side of the paved road closer to the house? Yeah, actually, if you look at this slide here, uh, Fulton Crescent, um, you know, it's a... Uh, the right-of-way itself, there's a small portion of it that's unimproved, um, and this property is sited in between um, that area and, uh, and off of the improved section. Um, the way the project is designed is um, there's a, a driveway that provides access to the, the property to the west, and the driveway will come off of that um, for the Washburn residents will come off of that shared driveway. So that improved portion of the road is adjacent to the Improved portion? Yeah, if you look at um, the line for uh, where it says Rumar Way and Fulton Crescent Drive, that connection you'll see on the, on this map, the line does not connect. Uh, that portion is, is not improved in between there. <clears throat> Steve. Yeah. Um, so if this wasn't on a subdivision uh, map, um, the uh, variances allowed uh, would be automatic? They're in administrative. Um, they meet the exception uh, criteria in the zoning ordinance. So, oh. if it weren't for being on the map, we wouldn't have the pleasure of being before you today. On this. Thanks. Okay. Any other questions, Steve? Thank, Thank you. you. That is the applicant or the applicant's representative care to come forward and add to the discussion here. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Brad Altman. I'm a professional engineer with Sagan Design Group representing the Washburns, and we accept staff's findings. You agree with all the staff's conclusions? In yes, we agree with staff's conclusions and findings. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anyone in the public care to comment on this item? Seeing no one come forward, then we'll close the public hearing process and bring it back to the commission for some action of some sort. Do you want to wait? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I can so move uh, something. Okay. Um, I move that the commission approve the subdivision modification to modify the 20-foot mapped front setback to allow for a front setback of 14 feet 6 inches in order to construct a garage. Uh, do I need to add anything else into that? Sequel findings, I guess. Huh? Is there any, uh, yeah, environmental? Yeah, you need to make sorry, a, a negative deck. Categorically exempt. Exempt. Okay. 
that it's categorically exempt, and I move that we approve that it's categorically exempt from. Second. Second. Okay. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. Are there any other comments or questions? All those in favor? Oh no! Roll call, please. <laughs> Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Moss is absent. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denio absent. Mr. Simpson? Yes. Motion carries, and there doesn't seem to be anyone protesting, so I guess I won't give their appeal rights. <laughs> Go on now. Huh? <laughs> uh, the next item is the Faulkner Underground Garage. And that's uh, in Squaw Valley. And I guess, Alan, you're going to help us with this, aren't you? Yes. Are you going to do the digging? <laughs> what's, that, what's that again? The digging? The digging. There will be a lot of explanation about the digging. Um, yeah, Alan Bruce, I'm the project planner. Uh, there is a sheet that Kathy's handing out that should have been inserted as a condition of approval. It's uh, requiring the showing the staff that Lahontan has approved with permits this particular project before we issue any grading or building permits for the project. That should have been in, inserted initially. So we are asking that to be added to the conditions if you approve the project. I do have the applicant representative here, Gary Davis. Um, he will discuss a little bit more detail on some of the project aspects, especially the blasting. This particular project is at Squaw Valley. It is a proposal of a 10,000 square foot underground garage that will serve two residential parcels. It will go underneath the uh, Sunnyside Ski Run to serve the two residences. There is also associated with that a pedestrian tunnel. Uh, construction will include the installation of required utilities and serve up to 12 parking spaces. To get everyone oriented where it is, it is located on the west side of the valley. In the green here is the zoning. So this is LDR, which is low density residential. To the south is the forest recreation. You'll see here in the red, these are the parcels that we're talking about. The project site is only included the, the garage entryway right here off of Granite Chief Road. The underground garage will come underneath here to these two residential lots. The sunny side. Alan, Alan, we don't get the benefit. We can't see. We can't see your. We can't see your pointer. <laughs> do you have any, do you have, do you have another pointer? Well, uh, no. You, you just carry. Could you carry the mic? Just pull it out. I guess I show how they're going to see it too. Yeah. Um, is yeah. there maybe a bit more voting on it? There's right? not another one. So. All right, so, whoops. So anyway, okay, so the ski, I just indicated to the pod and I indicate to the commission right now. So this is the uh, Sunnyside Ski Run that runs right through here. The green I was indicating, that's the, um, the zoning. This is the LDR. Even though the parcels in the project description is including these four, and this larger parcel comes down here, the project area is only right in this area. So the opening of the garage is right here where Grand Chief Road is. And I'll go underground underneath Sunnyside Ski Run to serve these two residences. Squaw Creek is right here. 
The existing conditions, um, the one on the top left, that's looking south towards Squaw Creek from Granite Chief Road. The one on the bottom is identifying where there was a house at one time located here. That's the building pad, and that is also looking to the south. The upper right is looking to the north towards Granite Chief Road, and to the south that is looking directly to the west. You can see the Funatel Tower that's located there. Now the project itself, and I'll try to do this twice here, um, it shows the opening right here where the garage is. So there's a ramp that comes down to, to the 12 parking spaces. And the residences will be located right here and here. And the surrounding information that's here, here's Squaw Creek. The cross-hatching is the floodplain area. So obviously this particular project is outside the floodplain. Surrounding land uses that you see here is residential. And here's the existing road, Granite Chief Road. So again, this is Granite Chief Road. This is the entry, 26 by 26, that comes down a ramp to the 12 parking spaces and the two residential lots, Squaw Creek. And the cross-hatching is the floodplain. All 12 of those are underground, right? All 12 of those are underground? Yes, that's correct. Okay. The, the entire structure, the garage is underground, except for what you're seeing here, the illustration. This is the opening um, that's coming in, the pedestrian tunnel to the left there, and then the garage door itself. But that's only 26 by 26. Out. Yep. I have another point or so. Okay, I'll you'll follow, help me I'll out follow. here? Okay. Um, the goes right over it. <laughs> so the red is the garage <clears throat> portion, and the blue is showing the, the residences here. There was a lot of discussion um, on this particular project, you know, about uh, the environmental effects. And there is a mitigated neck deck that is associated with it. it went through the state clearinghouse. There were some comments that came in from Lahontan, as well as the fire department, Squaw Valley. Um, and outside, uh, people reviewed it, and there seemed to be here today, too, that will make comment. Um, we did extensive review and studies on this. There's a geotechnical report. Um, we did some review of it. And there's mitigation measures that we're proposing as part of this project that will minimize the impacts around the surrounding neighborhood. There's a 35-foot cut that's associated right at this location. And part of that's going to be potential of blasting. Some of the geotechnical report has indicated there's granite there. There's also volcanic rock. So mechanical equipment will remove the loose material, but the granite that's there, there's potential blasting that's there. cross-section part of the analysis that we did obviously Squaw Creek is nearby um, there's a hundred foot setback requirement per our zoning ordinance but because of that hundred foot we have to make certain determinations and findings and there is a 43 foot vertical difference in elevation between Squaw Creek and the project itself there is a variance request within that 100-foot uh, setback to a 55-foot setback for a deck on the parcel to directly to the east. Now, I'll talk about the variance. There is a number of variances on this particular project, and it's unique. There are four parcels that are involved on this. That's why you're seeing several variances. Typically, staff will come in and say one parcel, here's the variances. But we're, this project area is actually including four parcels 
And that's why each variant is very specific to those individual parcels. The blue is highlighting the um, actual structure that's going to be proposed, the residence. The green is identifying our current setbacks. And because of the uniqueness of these particular lots being landlocked and Granite Chief being so far away, about 120 feet away, um, the house, because of minimized grading, is being pushed more to the north and requesting a five-foot setback instead of the required 20-foot setback. The purple is indicating what our setback is on the 100 feet. They're requesting the 55 and there's a future deck that they want to propose. It's not right up to that line, but that's the request at 55 um, because they're still designing the deck, but they would request 55 as part of it. And that's part of our analysis and part of our findings as well. This gives an idea of the, the hardship, um, the special circumstances that we have for this particular project. If there was no variances, what area this particular residence would be allowed to build in? And you can see in the gray, there, they have only given you know, over 700 square feet. So be, again, because of the variance, they're requesting in the blue to make that larger and for a residence there at that location. Um, okay, also this is the parcel to the, um, over directly above it. And the uniqueness again, because of this particular project is the garage. It's crossing over several parcels. We do look at this as a structure. So it goes across a lot line, it's got a zero foot setback. So it needs a variance. It would have to maintain in the front 20 feet, you know, in the rear would be 10 feet. You can see in the black with the, the structure itself, with the foundation, they're requesting zero feet. And we did talk to the applicant to find out maybe there's another location they can put this garage, but because of the slope they need to come down into, the vehicles and the, the uh, line of sight where the garage entrance is, this was the best they could do. And again, the limitation being that ski run, they're putting it underneath the ski run. So during the winter, people are skiing over on top of this particular garage. And if people are visiting, they would come in through the pedestrian tunnel, and which is located right here, access these two residential parcels. So it's very unique. You know, again, staff has to look at it for a structure. It's a, you know, it's below ground, but still needs a variance as to each individual lot where it crosses over for zero foot setback. Now the lot sizes, um, we did review part of our analysis to look at uh, special circumstances, how these particular two lots are relating in lot size. They are very small. And Gary Davis can go a little bit more detail of why they were created like this. It's, it's very unique. It's pretty far away from the street, too. Each one of these individual lots has access directly on the street. The, these, these two do not. And so there are, because of the lot size as well, the applicant is requesting lot size consideration. And that's part of the variance request as well. Now, I do want to real quickly go back, because part of the discussion <coughs> Um, is about the blasting and we've staff reviewed it very intensely and part of the mitigation measures when we looked at it is is how do we handle mitigation measures on it there is a licensed professional that handles the blasting how they correspond with the sheriff's department how they transport it how they use it when they use it um, how much they can use so staff has put a specific condition condition 17 you can see in your packet 
they have to provide to us that there's a licensed expert in this field that's going to handle this. Um, so there's th those mitigation measures that they, with their license, their training, is able to, to do this type of work out there. There is also, specifically as part of the concerns that came up, was about the dust control. Uh, the Condition 29, you'll see in your packet as well, as part of our mitigation measures, we discussed about a dust control plan to be submitted to us prior to any grading and construction. So there will be a water truck out there to, to have the dust control as well. And I do have Sarah Gilmore from Engineering can talk a little bit more about uh, the geotechnical information. There was some discussion about that, and I'm going to present it to her before I give it to the applicant to discuss a little bit more how staff looks at these, this type of information and how it's analyzed since, again, specifically there were some questions that uh, some people were raising about that. So you have that for your information if they talk about it. Question. Thank you, Alan. Question. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, um, do the same people own all four lots? No, they don't. Um, there's uh, part of the project application that came in. Um, we do have the Squaw Valley Resort LLC. They own this, the Sunnyside Ski uh, Run area. And they've been working, the applicant's been working with them to allow the entitlements there. So staff is, as we write these conditions, they've been uh, contacted and let known what's going to be done. But they, they do not own all four, no. Did they own the, have we changed any setbacks or rulings concerning those lots since the people bought the lot? Since they, since they bought it, no. But previously, it's a good question, Mickey. They, they did have, this particular site did have variances in the past. Uh, back in 2008, I believe it was, um, 2006. It actually went to planning commission as well as the board of supervisors for setback to water course as well as setback to structure. And were those variances granted? They were granted through the board of supervisors but never exercised. Alan, could you go back to the uh, where you had all of the lot sizes? Yes. What is uh, to the direction of where 01 is? It's a creek. That's the creek, okay. Is there anything on the other side of the creek? Are there homes on the ski other side? Ski area. Is it, it's all ski? Mm -hmm. Okay, I just, if, if it's some sort of open space area, whether there are more structures on that side. Let me see if I can, the aerial might help a little more here too. There it is. Oh, there, okay. I can get my bearings. So it's pretty open on that side. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's the main ski run at the very bottom. You see the coming through this, and then the other ski run goes right through this project. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, there's actually a bridge that's here where the ski run is. Those are the two uh, building sites. Oh yeah. Here's the the ski run where the garage will be underneath uh, that ski run. Here's Granite Chief Road. So they'll access the garage from here, go underneath the ski run to the two building sites, two lots right there. How was that ever visualized that they would get access to those lots? How was that, I mean, how were they ever landlocked? The applicant uh, will describe a little bit more. He's got a lot of history on it, Gary Davis's team. Um, but we, when staff reviews it, I mean, these are legal lots um, that we analyzed and they have the current zoning for residential single family. So we looked at it and they proposed variances they would have to because just because of the uniqueness of these lots being landlocked and so small. So you would, you would typically park on that 
into that street and walk across the ski area to have access without this parking facility as I see it. Were you seeing here, Larry? Well, see the loop on the end of Granite Chief Road where the entrance. Oh, I don't know how to use it technically. So here's Granite Chief Road, and this goes out, and so they would they would have parked along here and walked across to these sites, and that was the condition that they. Right. Yeah, there was a residence there before. Yeah. I had the advantage now acknowledge that I went out with Gary Davis to look at this site, so I just disclose that. <laughs> Where was the residence before? It was down. My understanding. It's on this. I think it was on this parcel right here, right, Alan? Yes. Oh, 44. Oh, 44. Right there. That one. 44. Mm -hmm. I think the aerial might even show. It's a little hard to see. Don't see it. Alan, I have a question on the on the garage entrance. That nice looking building. What property is it on? It's on two. Um, it's on what? It's on two parcels. It's located right where this line is. Right there. Yeah, it's on it's on two separate parcels. Correct. Correct, and that's the variance. That's why it's kicking in the variances for that as well. Okay, I didn't hear that. Just the uniqueness, and again, staff analyzed this because. The line of sight coming in, the amount of grading to minimize it, and the slope going down into the garage. Um, it's, it's a straight shot from there to the parcel directly to the west. And so that's, that's what came in. And, um, and plus, they had to make sure when they talked to uh, Squaw Valley, is how, it's got to be pretty far away from their ski area, where the run is, too. So they had to push it pretty far over as well. So that's why you have that variance for that particular one as well. So question then, the applicants who own the two small lots that have the proposed residences coming on them also own two other lots over here? Could you show me an um, assessor's map showing the different lots and who owns what? I will, you know what, Mickey, what I'll do is uh, right there's the, good. the applicant is here, that, but what staff Reviewed. See, I don't see the two lots you're talking about. There's some little skinny thing there. There, there's these two ones in the red that's showing. This is to identify why this is here in red is the lot sizes and why the variance. But the two ones in red is part of the project. But then there's this small skinny one, which used to be what Gary Davis has indicated to us. This used to be the access point to get to this these two lots. So that still exists. They still have that access to, to the landlocked, as you call them, lots. Through Correct. that, easements or right-of-ways there. So that still exists. They could, in effect, drive through there. I mean, no. legally, not necessarily with, yeah. a, you'd have to have a four-wheel terrain vehicle maybe, but that yeah. would be the route that they would normally take, um, legally. I don't, I don't know if a vehicle can go through there, actually, because it's pretty steep in that area, and plus, I'm not sure what the width is here in the Right, but I mean, they have the legal right. That's where they would make put in a road build to have it graded and, and access normally. That would allow them access rights to walk over here to get to this location. Um, or drive if they want to put a road in and pay for it. Good question, Mickey. I, I haven't analyzed that to see if that would be. I'd have to look. Talk well, to I'm seeing the, 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 is anybody else seeing what it looks like, what you're pointing out as the access? Yes, this right here. This is. This, That's a, is that, I mean, is that an easement for those people, for those lots? Yes. 
Okay, so if the easement, that's a travel easement, so they could put a road there and access through there. That's correct, or do I need to ask I, council? I would say from, I had to rely on my engineering because there's certain slope, there's certain width. From planning perspective, you know, we'd have to look at turnaround. It, it's quite a bit, but I'll let Sarah answer question. Question. It's, it's an incredibly skinny lot. It's, it's, it would be a walking access. Well, so and it, it is not an easement over another. It's, in, it's its own parcel with okay, a parcel So it wouldn't number. function the way that it would It would not it. function as a usable. You couldn't build anything in there, and okay. it, it's very steep. It almost functions purely, you might speculate, for a legal connection to a road. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. There's, a, there's a parcel number 22 that looks like it's to the west. Yes. Is that a buildable parcel, or is that straddle the creek, or? It, it is zone uh, LDR. The, the applicant does own this, I mean, the uh, um, project owner. So it is zoned LDR, but it's not part of our analysis, nor is it part of our conditions of approval. And it's a pretty steep area, too. I'd say it's over 30%. So if they come in with another project, um, we would have to analyze that. And I really, truthfully, I don't know what they, until I see something, what could be done, but it's very steep. And that vertical, again, what I was trying to demonstrate too, the variance, there's a 43-foot vertical distance that you have here before you get to the other two lots. So it does, I mean, it goes down pretty steep. And so that other parcel, does the Squaw Creek go through it? Uh, that one. Yeah, it goes around it. You can see here. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it looks like part of the flood it does. I so guess a little of it does, doesn't yeah. it? The corner of it, yeah. I think it'd be a tough one. Yeah. It's Let's steep. It's just straight into the creek. Okay. <laughs> okay, that answers that. <clears throat> just curious, I guess um, the ski area is granted an easement or some kind of a ability that to. Uh, lane, uh, lane, That's still being that hammered out. They allowed the staff, obviously, through the entitlement process, why we're presenting it to you, that they. We're satisfied with uh, what I'm seeing here. They've given a copy of it, all of our information as well. Um, so they, correct. They, they were, they're still, Gary Davis can talk a little bit more about that, but they're still hammering out the exact details about the easements. But this particular one, the entitlements, um, you know, we are satisfied with staff is, and that's why you see it in front of today. Well, if there are any further questions for me, um, I'll be happy to answer it, but I would like to have Sarah talk a little bit about the geotechnical. Okay. I think that uh, we're gonna, you have a question? No, go ahead. Okay. okay we're turn to public works then. Hi, Sarah Gilmore, Engineering and Surveying. Um, and we did re review a geotechnical report that was provided with the project as a part of doing the environmental review. Um, <clears throat> I believe you've seen letters going back and forth showing some of the information. So I just wanted to go over just the real basics that four test pits were dug as a part of this project, as is standard with geotechnical investigation one and a half to five feet deep where they met refusal uh, and one pit did encounter some groundwater perched groundwater which is very typical in the area as explained uh, in the geotech specifically looking at this groundwater um, not to be confused with the aquifer that's much much deeper there were uh, a litany of recommendations provided by the geotech that are incorporated into the project design that will make recommendations for how the retaining wall and foundations will infiltrate and pull the drainage of this perched groundwater around it. And you can certainly have uh, Gary Davis, the engineer, talk further about the design if you're interested in it. But I wanted you to know that we did look at these things, both engineering and surveying and environmental health. And additionally, it's somewhat standard to be able to look at the building code as well, which has uh, 
vast array of how they can deal with design of a foundation that has surcharge of water around it. Okay, any other questions? Or yeah, just a question. You said you did test bits uh, five foot deep. How deep is the actual construction for the bottom of the foundation of the garage going to be? Mm -hmm. uh, let's ask Gary that. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's pretty deep, much deeper than five feet. So the test holes didn't go down near as far as? 35 feet. So, yeah, not even 20% of the depth? Right, that's correct. But that wouldn't be uncommon when you're meeting a refusal of pretty solid rock. You know what it's going to be. It's going to be some kind of rock. So we can ask Gary that question when he gets up here. Any other questions? Lose somebody. Okay, if that concludes uh, staff's presentation, we'll go to the applicant, I guess, and suggest that, uh, I guess, Gary, are you going to come forward? Good morning, Mr. Chairman, members of the uh, Planning Commission and staff. Thank you for having us today. Um, uh, I'm going to give you a little history on this project. It goes way back in time into the 50s and 60s when Alex Cushing owned all this property, the ski run as well as the subdivision of the lots. Can we go back to one of the uh, overall maps? Back up. So when Alex Cushing, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, was getting ready for the Olympics and owned the ski area, obviously, uh, he sold off this land for Granite Chief subdivision, which are the parcels that... Uh, lots are mostly quarter acre lots. Shortly afterwards, he came back and did these three, four lots, 44, 43, 22, and 34, which is this very weird lot that is providing legal access to these two, this one, through this little four foot strip here, over through between two homes to get back to the roadway. You'd never be able to get that approved today. It meets no standards under the state law. It's completely an oddball deal, which is why we're here today. <laughs> There's these lots then were 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 built on the first one on lot 44 was built on, I believe, back in the 60s. <coughs> this is that the corner one? That's, that's where the house was previously. That was torn down two years ago. Uh, that house had been abandoned for a number of years. It was a thorn in Nancy Cushing's side. Uh, a different owner owned it at that time. Before that, Mr. Burke owned it. We worked for Mr. Burke 15 years ago to get a variance for parking on Granite Chief Road, which is a substandard road, substandard width, very steep, substandard uh, pitch. And we were able to carve out a little piece on lot 34 to park two cars, which would have been allowed him to build on lot 43 at that time. The problem all the way along is Ski Corp never wanted anybody to build there when Nancy and Alex owned this property. 
they saw a liability issue there for people walking across the ski run, trying to access it, no parking, and it uh, just was something they did not want to approve. Even though they have legal ownership of this small strip, which is right here, they have legal ownership. And this has always been Squaw Valley's issue of liability right there. The practical driveway would be right across here. Unacceptable to Squaw Valley. With new ownership of KSL coming in and buying the ski area, KSL has a relationship uh, with some of the people in Denver with Mr. Faulkner, who owns a ski area in Austria. And they're able to come to an amenable decision of this underground garage, which does not impact the ski run. So we purposefully oriented the entrance to the garage out of the ski run area, more uphill, to turn sharply left and downhill to get under lot 44. The houses that are proposed, and only one is designed at this point, have potentially six bedrooms. Placer County Code requires three quarters of a parking space per bedroom. That's four parking spaces per house, ultimately. That gives us eight parking spaces. The garage area under the ski run only supports six parking spaces. So we had to carve two more out under lot 44 to give us the required eight. And at that point, it became obvious to us from a structural engineering point that lot 44 should just be excavated for, for the other extent of the parking, for the elevator, for the access stairs, and that therefore would become the foundation for any house built on lot 44. The previous house on lot 44 covered 51% of that lot. It's a small substandard 6,000 square foot lot. And again, most of the lots in this subdivision are in the neighborhood of 20,000 square feet, 12,000, 18,000 square feet. So we're, we're quite a bit under. Uh, sized. So one of the variances we're asking for is to be able to build a house to the same extent of the house that was there before. On lot 43, we're asking for a variance uh, again to the 35% required coverage because of the, the, the setbacks, because of the creek setback, and uh, that works uh, for uh, lot 43. The creek setback and the variance for the setbacks on lot 43 were approved by the Planning Commission and Squaw Valley MAC back in 2006, as earlier indicated. We're asking for exactly the same variances today that were approved then. Those variances expired because that owner was not able to reach agreement with Squaw Valley Ski Corp to do a, a project that would allow him the parking that would fit the home. Had they done that and built at the time, uh, we wouldn't be here today. But uh, this is a really good solution. It's a win-win for everybody. You cannot park on Granite Chief Road without causing problems for the fire department for access up there. It's, it's way narrow. It's probably like 16 to 18 feet in spots. It uh, barely allows um, a fire truck to get up to those homes as it is. And parking on the edge of the road would certainly preclude that. The underground garage uh, is, a, is a good solution. The size of it, which while it sounds large, uh, Part of it is under lot 44, part of it is under the ski run, and uh, that's using the standard Placer County requirements for a parking space of 20 feet long with a 25 foot back out space and an egress for um, walking persons. That creates that much volume. Certainly volume costs a lot of money to build and we would build it smaller, but we're trying to meet the Placer County standards on width, parking spaces, and so forth. Uh, the garage has been into the building department already. We've already received plan checks on the building permit for the garage. Uh, we're responding to those plan check comments today. 
and uh, in the, with the building department. The house on lot 43 has been designed and uh, we'll go to the building department probably in the next month should we gain approval from all of you. So that's kind of the history of how we got there and this is the solution that provides the best solution for the neighbors, for the fire department, for the use of these lots that are already entitled. These lots already have water and sewer connected to them and have had historically water and sewer connected to them. Um, this process with us started last fall. We submitted plans to Placer County Planning for EQ review after a scoping meeting, uh, reviewing what had been done before back in 05. They suggested we still go back and do the whole thing over again, which we did. We were before the Squaw Valley MAC in March. It was publicly noticed meeting. We were before the Squaw Valley MAC again in uh, May and then again in June. So we've had three publicly noticed meetings over a long period of time here. Uh, everybody should be aware of this project and what the ramifications are. Our technical data has been submitted to the county since last winter. Uh, they've had a lot of the geotechnical reports and all the other traffic reports and such for quite a long time. Lahontan approved the project in January of this year. We have a Lahontan letter to that effect. Uh, the setbacks uh, normally would apply to homes to keep homes from being too close together. Setbacks in this case are a little bit irrelevant in the fact that we're setbacks from the ski run. So the, the situation there is you want to have the safety of the skiers in mind. You're not really a set, setting back to another home or another property line. We've worked very carefully with Squaw Valley Ski Corp to make sure that the setbacks provide the safety they require for their skiers. And uh, that is one of their main issues. Without their cooperation, this project is not possible. And we are deep, deep deliberations with them to refine all these things into a legal written agreement that will define responsibilities for the future on who's going to maintain this, who's going to own this, uh, and the setbacks that will work for them. Uh, let's see. So. <coughs> Lot 22, that question came up, and that lot we feel is unbuildable. That's this lot at the bottom here. Down by the creek, right? Yeah. This one here, this lot we feel is unbuildable. Part of it's in the creek. All of it's within the 100-foot setback. It's over 35% steep. It doesn't meet any possible building um, codes that we can see. So we don't intend to, uh, to build on that lot. There's no intention. Uh, I do have people here today from the contractor who can talk about blasting specifically, if you'd like to hear anything about that. We also have our geotechnical engineer today who can talk about the water uh, and subsurface water if there's specific questions on that as well. And I'm open to any questions. Any questions? I, I, yeah, I just have one question on the, the existing access through that little uh, six foot or four foot walkway stuff is is part of the project to abandon that yes we want to clean up all these lot lines okay and that uh, that'll be I a separate process we'll do a, a minor boundary line adjustment we're going to give that part that crosses the ski run to squaw okay and the part up that goes kind of to the west to squaw and then there's two other property owners this kind of goes through their yard right and get rid of that as well because be it, it has no value and makes no sense so we'd like to clean that up That'll be a, a future... Um, right, because of timing, we're going to do that uh, as the next step. Okay, thank you. And that'd have to be done before we go to any construction. Wayne? Uh, 
emergency uh, fire access, how do you address that? Yes, we do with the fire department and the building department. That is a question they both have, and uh, they have what they call an island of safety, which we've got to indicate on the plan so that they people can get out of the house, or if the garage was in fi under fire and the house was on fire, you still have an island of safety. And so we're meeting all those building codes that, re that deal with fire. Of course, the garage and the homes would have to be sprinklered. Yeah, the equipment can't actually get access to the property. Right? No, they would have, there's a fire hydrant. Oh, good, it's working again. There's a fire hydrant right here. They'd have to drag hose across the ski run. And the house will also have standpipes so they could hook up hose at a drag hose over there and hook up to standpipes as well. So we've been through the, the building code and the fire department with these plans. What did you mean by island of safety? Island of safety is a term in the building code where somebody can get out of a burning building and be far enough away to not be in, caught in the, in the uh, okay. plane. And you've identified those spots? It's on the, on the building plans, but not on this okay. entitlement plan. I want to go to county council. Do we have anything we want to tell the applicant and or the audience about our voting today that's going to be unusual? We need, can we use a simple majority of the five, or do we have to have a special? No, simple majority. Okay. I have a question. <clears throat> Yes. Uh, concerning the size of the lots being so small, how come a six-bedroom house was proposed that would require so many parking lots instead of a smaller house on a smaller lot? The economics of building this garage are significant. And so the larger home makes a little more economic sense than a smaller home. The footprint on these How so homes, unless he's going to sell it? Pardon me? How so if he's not going to sell it? What, what's the, uh, what, what benefits do you, are you talking about? Well, I'll let, I'll let our representative, our lawyer, talk to that as he knows Mr. Faulkner very well and knows how he uses his homes around the world. Mm -hmm. But if you have a six-bedroom home, I'm sure you're going to have some guests. Yes, I'm not asking that. The question is why a six-bedroom home on such a small lot? Because I mean, of the size of the lot when they're going in. <clears throat> we did, but we also had the variance previous in 2005 that allowed for a larger home on this lot. And the larger home is only 2,000 square foot footprint. This is not a large home in terms of a footprint. But if you go up several stories, that does gain you a lot more square footage for a building. So 2,000 square feet on a 6,000 foot lot is not an excessively large home in terms of Well, that's of a matter of question, obviously. I'm sorry? I said that's a matter of discussion, obviously. Uh, yeah, everybody has their own opinion, sure. And uh, I guess the last question, I don't know that, Gary, you would be knowing about it, but the um, well, let me ask the applicant when, when he comes up. Sure. Okay, any other questions? Gary? Thank you, Gary. Very good, thank you. You want your attorney to come up? And I have, I'll, would he be able to answer your question better, Mr. Gray? It had to do with the max, last max meeting, so maybe, maybe not. Yeah. At the end, just to add to that footnote, to the last MAC meeting, everybody loves the project. They just couldn't come to a vote on it. So it was a divided vote, is what it was? No, they couldn't come to a resolution of a vote, period. They didn't vote on it whatsoever? They didn't vote on it whatsoever, but we talked with each of them, and they, they didn't do like the project. They just had a different way. Each one wanted to put the motion forward, and they couldn't get a consensus. No consensus. Okay, thanks. Are you prepared to talk now, or would you rather 
talk later? What's the uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, members of the commission, my name is Rick Trachok. I am uh, Jack Faulkner's uh, personal lawyer. I've been involved uh, uh, with Mr. Faulkner's activities in the United States for a number of years and have represented him since he and his entities acquired ownership here. I was the one that negotiated with uh, Squaw Valley to obtain the uh, um, right to the easements under the uh, ski run and am continuing to negotiate the amended and restated agreement that uh, we had originally uh, assigned two years ago with uh, uh, Squaw Valley. And I'd be happy, I don't have a formal presentation, uh, but I'd, I would be happy to answer any questions as to Mr. Faulkner's uh, intentions and uh, um, anything that having to do with uh, our side of the project. Any questions? I guess not. How, uh, yeah, yeah. How long ago did Mr. Faulkner buy the property? Mr. Faulkner purchased the property, the rights to it in 2008. He had an, uh, uh, an option on the property uh, prior to that, but in 2008 is when the, if my memory serves me correct, is when the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the contract was signed and he acquired title to all of these lots through different entities that were owned by Mr. Faulkner. And just as a little history, Mr. Faulkner and his family own uh, a Solden ski area in uh, Austria. It's um, uh, in the vicinity of Innsbruck. It's one of the largest ski areas in uh, uh, Europe. And uh, Mr. Faulkner is in the ski business, and that's why he was uh, interested in Squaw Valley. And I think that's why the current owners of Squaw Valley were interested in talking to uh, Jack and uh, uh, giving him the rights to uh, build the, the garage under the ski run, which would make this whole uh, project viable. He also has a, a residence up in Whistler, spends time up in uh, Whistler as well. Okay, there's no further questions. Thank you. Thank you. At this time, we'll go to the public. Anyone in the public would care to comment on this project? Please come forward and give us your name and <coughs> tell us what you want to tell us. Sure. Morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking time to listen to us. My name is Mike Sayak. I'm the president of the board of Squaw Valley Lodge, and I've served on the board since 2008. And with me today, let me introduce a few people. Evan Benjaminson, who's here is president of Grand Peak, that have been our management company since the lodge was started some 20 odd years ago. Uh, Greg Goddard still leaves. They've been our law firm for about as again since the beginning of the lodge. And also with us is, and I have to read this because the titles and uh, titles are so huge. This is uh, Dr. Professor Dr. Vladimir Bajanik, um, or Vlad to us. He's the staff he is a staff scientist in the Building Technologies and Urban Systems Department, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, University of California, and a consulting professor, Civil and Environmental Engineering Department, Stanford University, and has over 50 years of direct involvement in all facets in the, of the building construction industry. He's a homeowner of the lodge and an advisor to the board of directors. And uh, I call him the philosopher behind everything we do. Can I, here, just, can I ask just one quick question? Where, uh, since I'm not familiar, where's the, square, the Squaw Valley Lodge? Absolutely. That was the next point I was going to make. Oh, OK. I'm sorry. Uh, where it says existing building. Oh, oh it's right there. These, this building, this building, this building, and there are one, two, three more, seven buildings. Okay. I'll try the area. Uh, this is the Squaw Valley Lodge. Okay. So we're actually, we're, I think at some point we, we measured the distance between the property and the lodge and some, somewhere about 60 to 100 feet distance. Mm -hmm. 
So the we're here. Okay, perfect. That helps. All right. So the pointer would be: this is one of the buildings of the lodge. This is another. This is four, five, and six. One, two, and three. I'm sorry. One, three, and two. This is building one. Building three. Building two is here. Seven is over here. Four, five, and six are over here. Okay. Again, makes up 218 units. We're a ski in, ski out, condotel association. Uh, next to KT22. A quick question. Go ahead. It occurs to me looking at the map here. Uh, is the lodge built within the 100-foot setback from the creek? You have a variance for that, too, I guess. I'm just for comparison purposes. Not sure. Huh? I'm not sure on that one. Okay. Okay. We're, we're, here, to, uh, we're here to address concerns that we have a construction project up today. And by the way, we, are, we, we like the project. It's, we're, we're not against the project. We don't have any issues with the project being built. We're very excited that Mr. Faulkner's here. Uh, we think it will be a, a tremendous asset to the Valley. Um, the, our concern is with the planning of the project and some of the issues that we have. We urge you to delay the decision on this project as we have not had the time or the necessary information to evaluate their proposals. Okay. The shortcoming of the early notice, um, shortcomings of the early notice that, has not, that have not given us at the Lodge enough time to evaluate all the aspects of this project to include the economic effect of the Lodge noise, dust, vibration, hydrology. The economic effect of the project would likely be very significant and could result in closing a lodge for several months, as the project could affect the usability of the lodge. Our highest concern after the economic effect is the hydrology, or water flows. The water plan, if not managed correctly, could result in significant damage to the lodge. For example, and I have some photographs that you guys can pass. For example, in 1997, due to improper implementation of water plans, coupled with a major storm, resulted in a flood of the lodge that cost millions of dollars of damage. And I sent the photos up to you of the flood that shows you how a small change on this mountain could make, could affect, could have a big effect. The lack of time to evaluate and the incomplete information on the project plan has left both owners and representatives of the lodge concerned that the project may have significant impacts that affect the lodge. Finally, this is a complicated project, and there is insufficient information available to determine the impact of the requested variances and the use permits on the surrounding properties, the short-term effect of the construction, and the long-term effect of the proposed project. We hope to sit down with the applicant and planning staff and discuss the additional information that is needed and measures they may uh, mitigate, and measures they may take to mitigate significant impacts and be incorporated into the project as enforceable conditions of approval. We're requesting the Planning Commission withhold any action on this project until that information is available to the public. And just let me add at the end, um, Squaw Valley is an incestuous place. We all know each other. We all work together. Uh, we know Gary from other projects. I know personally know Gary from other projects that are working in the Valley. And actually, uh, he is, we've hired him to work on various aspects of the Lodge. So I said, we will be working together. And again, we urge uh, the board to delay. I'd like to introduce Greg Gatto, a uh, lawyer who's got some more technical aspects of the plan that we have concerns about. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Stevenson, commissioners. My name is Greg Gatto. I'm an attorney with Stoll Reeves. And I'm here on behalf of the Squaw Valley Lodge Owners Association. 
I would like to make a quick cl clarification before I begin. On page 7 of the staff report, there is a summary of the Squaw Valley MAC meeting. The MAC did actually take a vote on the uh, variance for coverage, and MAC voted 4 to 2 not to recommend approval to allow lot coverage to exceed the 35%. As you've heard from Mr. Sayak, the Lodge does not oppose the project and concept. Gary Davis graciously agreed to meet with members of our board yesterday afternoon, and we believe we've started a good dialogue. We also met with the applicant's attorney this morning, and he has stated the applicant's willingness to work with us. However, there is currently insufficient information for the public and you, the commissioners, to adequately, adequately evaluate the potential project impacts and to ensure that those impacts will be mitigated to a less than significant level. The environmental document that the Commission is considering today does not fulfill the mandates under CEQA to take a hard look at the consequences of project approval and to describe specific and effective mitigation measures to lessen a project's significant environmental effects. The mitigated negative declaration for this project is essentially a wait-and-see document. For many of the impacts described, the NAGDEC concludes that it will wait to see what the impact will be and then decide on an appropriate course of mitigation. This deferral of analysis and mitigation does not satisfy CEQA's requirements for definite and enforceable mitigation measures. One of the primary purposes of CEQA is to demonstrate to an apprehensive citizenry that the agency has in fact analyzed and considered the environmental implications of its action. Environmental documents under CEQA are intended to bolster the public's confidence in the agency's decision and provide the agency with information from a variety of experts and sources. After reviewing the NAGDEC for this project, we remain apprehensive. This may sound familiar to the Commission, but here's what we do know about the project. What's being proposed here is a 35-foot excavation into a hillside directly above a condominium complex. This immense hole in the ground will then be filled by an impermeable 10,000-square-foot block. We also know that there's groundwater in the area as high as one foot below ground level. What we don't know is the extent of the subsurface flow of the groundwater. The test pits used for the hydrogeological report were extremely shallow, ranging in depth from one to five feet. The excavation proposed by the applicant extends up to 35 feet below ground. We know for certain that the excavation and, and eventual construction will intercept groundwater. The applicant's own consultant, Holdridge and Cole, concludes that the project, quote, may result in significant groundwater flow through the face of cuts made for retaining walls or site grading. Holdridge and Cole explains further that, quote, perched groundwater may cause moisture intrusion through concrete slab on grade floors, degradation of asphalt concrete pavements, and other adverse conditions. We don't know how much groundwater will be intercepted and where it will be diverted once this huge dam is placed in the ground. But as Gary Davis explains, the intent of the project design is to reintroduce any groundwater that is intercepted back into the subsurface. This rediversion of the groundwater could alter groundwater flows so that the water daylights on the bank of Squaw Creek, creating possible erosion, sediment, and flooding impacts to the creek. The project could also concentrate flows to the downhill improvements, resulting in deterioration or degradation of the lodge buildings and common area. 
the NAGDEC did not assess these potential off-site impacts. While Holders and Cole acknowledges that these significant hydrological impacts must be mitigated, the NAGDEC proposes no real mitigation. Instead, defer deferring development of mitigation to a final drainage report prepared after project approval and during site preparation. The deferral of this vital mitigation subverts the CEQA process and deprives both the Commission and the affected public of the opportunity to review and comment on the adequacy of the proposed measures. To properly defer mitigation in this manner, the county must identify specific and enforceable performance standards in a list of measures that must be considered as part of a mitigation plan. In this case, a standard such as no net increase of flows onto downhill properties would be appropriate. However, the negative declaration has not assessed the baseline flows, and without a baseline, there's no way to enforce this measure. The analysis of several other potentially significant impacts suffer from the same infirmities. For example, to mitigate the potential impacts related to extensive excavation, including blasting, the negative declaration merely proposes that the applicant hire a state licensed contractor and a geotechnical engineer to observe excavation activities. In essence, the negative declaration is punning the formulation of any mitigation measures and concludes that by hiring two guys that have a piece of paper allowing them to perform construction in California, all impacts would be mitigated to a less than significant level. This is a ridiculous contention and, and gut sequels directive that the public agencies identify the actual measures to mitigate a project's significant impacts. The mitigation for construction impacts are likewise vague and unenforceable. For example, mitigation measure 6.2 requires that stockpiling in our vehicle staging areas shall be located as far as practical from existing dwellings and protected resources in the area. How is the county supposed to enforce this measure? If materials are stockpiled 10 feet from the lodge, is that sufficient? If code enforcement is called, do they have any standards to use to determine what a practical distance is? With regard to the merits of the project itself, the proposal simply does not fit the legal criteria for a variance. The project applicant is requesting a total of 12 different variances from the county's land use standards. The county is essentially being asked to rezone the property through the variance process. This violates the essential elements of planning and zoning law. A variance should only be granted in rare instances where the project applicant would suffer substantial hardship due to special circumstances necessitating relief from land use standards in order to bring the property into parity with other properties in the vicinity and the same zone. With regard to the hardship finding, the record is devoid of what the hardship to the applicant would actually be if the variances were denied. There is no claim that the applicant would not be able to build a single family residence in a garage without a variance. The only claim of hardship is that the applicant will not be able to build a 12 to 14 car garage with a 3,000 square foot building pad unless the variances are granted. Because the property can be put to effective use consisting with the existing zoning without allowing 12 exceptions to the county's land use standards, approval of the variance request is not supported by law. With regard to the special circumstances finding, there is no logical relationship between the special circumstances cited by the applicant and the variances requested. The lack of access is not alleviated by allowing additional coverage or encroaching within setback areas. 
and the proximity to Squaw Creek would support only a single variance in this instance, and not the other 11 requested. Finally, the small lot size does not create a special circumstance allowing for an increase in coverage. There are many other larger lots within the area that have less building coverage than that requested by the applicant. We've provided you with just a small sampling of such properties, including four on Granite Chief Road that are under 1,500 square feet. That brings us to the last finding required to support a variance, and that's the relief is necessary to provide parity with properties in the vicinity and within the same zone. If approved, the variances would allow for construction of a three-story residence on a 3,000 square foot building pad, allowing for a five to 6,000 square foot house and a 12 to 14 car garage. Can you honestly look in the eyes of the residents of Squaw Valley and tell them a 6,000 square foot house and a 14 car garage is necessary to create parity? The Placer County Code allows approval of a variance only when it is the minimum departure from the requirements of the zoning ordinance necessary to grant relief to the applicant. The variances requested are not the minimum required to achieve parity with other properties. They constitute an unlawful special privilege. Based on the deferred analysis and improper mitigation in the NAIG deck, there was a fair argument that the project may have a significant effect on the environment. This mandates that a full EIR be prepared. We respectfully request that the commission remand this matter back to staff to address the issues raised in our comment letter and mitigate where feasible. If after further analysis and appropriate mitigation, the project impacts cannot be reduced to a less than significant level, and EIR should be prepared. It's our understanding that the majority of earthwork for this project is not slated to begin until the spring or summer of 2015. And given this schedule, any delay associated with fixing the environmental document should not affect the construction. Thank you again for your attention to our comments, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Green. Anyone here? Uh, I've got a question. Were you at the last oh. MAC meeting? I was not. Okay. Um, I was just trying, I'm still trying to get a grasp on what happened at that MAC meeting because I'm not getting a clear picture. I think we have one of our board members that, that could probably speak to that. One. Okay. Well, was the original depiction by the applicant, as you, you call it too, Alan? Oh, you're talking about the vote that happened, yeah. occurred. Uh, the, I wrote the staff report. That is what occurred. There was a large discussion about the project, the uniqueness. Um, there was a vote on the lot coverage, four to two, not to have that go forward. Um, but uh, everything else, they couldn't come to a resolution on, on the prices. Okay. I, I think we can consider that okay. reasonable. All right. Is there anyone else that would care to come forward and comment? Thank you. Okay, if no one else is coming forward, we'll allow the, oh, here we come. My name is Jake Hudson, and I work for Holdridge & Call. I'm a professional engineer and a certified engineering geologist. And I authored the reports that uh, were submitted to the county for this project. And um, I'm available to answer any questions, if you have any. Um, I. Um, don't want to get into kind of nitpicking back and forth over um, debating the engineering issues. I feel that we've addressed the engineering issues with this project. 
it is a unique residential project clearly um, it's a unique site and um, so if you have any questions I'm available to answer those thank you any questions well, without getting into nitpicking just one question um, mm -hmm. this whole issue about the blockage of uh, underground water by by the parking structure can you maybe just a little more detail on that and and what's your take on that certainly um, we've done a lot of work in the Tahoe Basin over the years I've worked in this area the majority of my career and uh, we have an office in Truckee and um, so in the Tahoe Basin they require a soil hydrology report and it's very common practice that if you intercept groundwater with any structure to mitigate that so that you're not taking groundwater and discharging it on the surface and so what we propose or what we did on this project was you intercept the groundwater so that the structure does not have to be designed for hydrostatic pressures against the walls and so you drain you have back of wall drains and then those drains um, go into infiltration trenches which would be on the lower obviously downhill um, from the proposed project and those infiltration trenches would still be on the uphill side of Squaw Creek and um, would be discharging our calculations are on the order of two gallons per minute which is a small flow but it's two gallons per minute um, and it would be similar to a leach field for an on-site waste disposal system discharging the long trenches that would re-infiltrate the water so that it's not discharged as surface water it would be on the uphill side of Squaw Creek so the potential for that water to impact the lodge buildings would be very remote like I would like to say impossible um, the creek is in between the two and um, so we are mitigating the um, interception of groundwater by reinfiltrating it so we're protecting water quality and water quantity did I answer your question with that? Thank you. No, I'm familiar with some of this stuff, so thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions for Jay? Did you have a mother named Sally? Yes. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess that, that concludes then. Gary, do you want to come back and talk a little more? Or is that? Well, I have a couple things I want Jay to elaborate on. Okay. The, uh, kind of standard in the industry of the depth to refusal and the 35 foot cut if you elaborate on how much you know about the subsurface based on your studies well it is um, the standard is if you were in soil um, would be to go two times the width of the footing below the footings for your geotechnical investigation um, clearly we didn't get there our test pits hit refusal on bedrock and uh, but on this site there is the slope that goes down to Squaw Creek 
which is exposed. And so we didn't just kind of go, oh, well, we don't know what's there. We um, logged that slope or observed that slope. I'm an engineering geologist, so we, we geologically mapped that slope. We looked at the geology in the site on geologic maps. Um, I'm rather familiar with the geology of Squaw Valley. Um, I've done a lot of work in that area. And um, so we are confident that it is rock under the site as, a, um, as opposed to soil. Um, so we do know with um, some good judgment as to what's there below the site. If there are any other questions, yeah. there, 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 were, there were some pictures that were given to us by an opponent, I believe. I'd, like, I'd sure like you to look at those, if you would, and give me your interpretation of how, how that came about and where, because uh, I have some background in it too, and I, and I, I don't know that that is re any result of this site, and I, I, I'm not sure whether they tie together in any way or not. This is, um, these photos are of the 1997 New Year's flood in Squaw Valley, uh, rain on snow event, which is when things happen flood-wise in uh, the mountains here typically. And um, I'll be honest with you, I worked for the Squaw Valley Lodge um, for this. Um, there was quite a bit of work afterwards uh, specifically involved with litigation between the Lodge and the Ski Corporation. And without getting into the details in that, um, obviously a whole lot of areas flooded during this event and it was um, you know a significant flood event, a hundred year event or something like that. But essentially, um, the argument would be that some of this flooding was exasperated by the grading that has gone on in the ski area above this. Um, this is a rather small project, and um, we are mitigating the surface water runoff, meaning that we are not increasing the surface water discharge from the site post-construction. Things will be re-infiltrated. Um, theoretically, as naturally, they would at this time. Um, if you have a rock site, you do kind of question how much naturally infiltrates on the site to begin with, but that's kind of another issue. Um, the interception of groundwater on this site is we're estimating two gallons per minute. Um, and I've tried to make that a rather um, conservative estimate, meaning a lot of water. Um, my guess is it would be considerably less than that over time, but two gallons a minute um, is not going to cause this. This is uh, considered, obviously, these are two completely different things. This is a 
rain on snow event where we had 10 feet of snow that melted in a rainstorm um, within a matter of you know 24 hours or something um, and this intercepting the groundwater would have no impact on um, the volume of water in Squaw Creek whatsoever the part of the re-infiltration of the groundwater is not just to protect water quality, but it's to slow down the discharge of water so that you're not taking groundwater and dumping it into the creek and increasing the flow in the creek. That was kind of another long-winded <laughs> answer, I think, but uh, I hope I no, I think you answered question. my question. I think the relationship there may be sort of tentative. Yeah. It's the whole idea of that we're going to impact the flow in Squaw Creek or potentially affect the lodge. Um, this is negligible. It's uh, the amount of water we're going to intercept here is a teaspoon compared to a swimming pool in Squaw Creek. I mean, it's, it's nothing. So, any other questions, Eugene? Yeah, you're talking about the uh, <coughs> trenches where you're going to reintroduce the water. Have you identified where you're going to put those in? Yes, they would be down slope so that we don't have to use pumps. It would be a gravity flow system. And they would be on the um, bot, the end, bot, downhill side of the ski point. run. Could you, um, could, you, could you just point? Yes. <clears throat> In this area here. So that's not? Cross slope, similar to a, a leach field for a um, septic system. Um, the garage is up here. So if I, if I may interrupt, you could look on page 19 of your staff report. Hmm? Also has that? a plan. It's page 19. So when you're saying trenches, these are not open trenches. These are like no. a septic system where they're a, a perforated pipe Correct. with gravel buried underneath the ground where, okay. And the pipe would be near surface. We recommend 30 inches deep so it's not um, uh, susceptible to freezing. And the trenches would be um, off the top of my head, I want to say four feet deep and 40 feet long. We've designed these with what I call a redundancy factor. Um, it's their infiltration capacity is twice what I estimate will come out during construction. And are any of these infiltration ditches on the applicant's property? No, they are on the Squaw Valley ski area ski runs. Okay. The, um, to, to infiltrate them on the site, number one, we're in rock. So we're trying to infiltrate them into soil. And number two, it's not downhill. So trying to do it with gravity flow as opposed to having pumps. Okay. okay. Got thank, it? Thank you, Jake. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you.
Yuri, do you want to take another shot? Yes. Thank you uh, very much. I'd like to speak uh, to Mr. Gatto's uh, comments to some of those. We had a very um, fruitful meeting with uh, Mr. Gatto and the president of the Homeowners Association yesterday afternoon, um, along with um, uh, Evan Benjamin. Uh, we've been trying to have a conversation with them for a few weeks and uh, since the last Squaw Valley MAC meeting because they, they brought up some of these issues then. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't get together until last night. But we have put together a list of things that we have proposed to them to try and mitigate their concerns. Uh, there's eight items, I believe. I sent that off to uh, you folks. And some of them are staging of vehicles uh, to be off-site, not idling in front of the condos. Another point is we've already met with the homeowners from Granite Chief Subdivision. You don't see any of those nearby neighbors um, having any concerns. We've answered their questions. But uh, we want to work with the Squaw Valley Lodge. We want to make sure that noise is not a factor for them. Uh, dust control is not a factor for them. And we've made certain promises to that effect uh, to do all of that with them, uh, certainly on a voluntary basis. Uh, doesn't need to be in a condition of approval to get us to be good neighbors and represent what we think is, is good for everybody around there. So we have looked at the bridge, we've looked at the roadway, we're going to do a vibration monitoring plan that will indicate uh, any kind of uh, blasting activity that creates ground shaking, we'll have that. Uh, we're gonna have a noise uh, receptor plan that will also indicate the number of decibels of noise from blasting and so forth that goes on in truck traffic so that we can work with them on that. We respect their reservations they currently have for this season and we would uh, say that we're not gonna do any work in their high season in July and August and work with them on a schedule that's cooperative and works for all the neighbors, perhaps the shoulder seasons of uh, September, October or uh, April, May would be best for everybody and we wanna make sure that we're a good neighbor here. So. With all due respect to Mr. Gatto, I, I have to say a couple of things about the variances. The uh, staff has done an excellent job over many months of looking at all this material. Uh, they've indicated to me this is a classic case for these variances. Uh, of all the variances are primarily due to crossing property lines, which is the only way you can get an underground garage from point A to point B. The only two variances that are not part of crossing property lines are the 100-foot um, setback from Squaw Creek, which I mentioned was originally approved by the Planning Commission to 55, and then the lot size variance for the building, which is 35% as normal, and we're asking for 42. So uh, I think these variances are very, very, uh, very logical. I do have a little blasting video. If anybody here has not seen blasting, would like to see what that, uh, the noise effect and the, no uh, the dust effect, I'm happy to show that little clip to you. It's about 30 seconds. I also have our contractor here who uh, does the blasting with his licensed blasting contractor who can, uh, blasting employee who can talk about all the state regulations and things that go on with blasting. The little clip we have is an Alpine Meadows done by our contractor right among three homes on small residential lots. You can see there's almost no effect, no noise, no smoke, nothing. So if you're interested in that, I'm happy to run it. But if not, we'll let it go. Are you really interested in seeing it? It doesn't look like it. Okay. The question did come up, too, about whether the lodge is in the 100-foot setback. And uh, uh, some of you may know the original creek went probably right where the lodge is. And it was turned 90 degrees right at the lodge to go around it. And uh, Squaw Creek uh, is probably within 20 feet of those buildings. But th that was one of the reasons for flooding, is the creeks don't like to make 90-degree turns, uh, naturally. And all that debris from an entire watershed in the 97 
uh, New Year's flood came down with debris, rocks, logs, and everything, and it right there at that 90 degree turn went right through the building. Uh, as Jake said, we're talking about a teacup of water compared to a swimming pool full of water in relationship. Uh, so that's all I have, uh, and we do have, like I said, our contractor here who can talk about any any earthwork, blasting, excavation, staging, if you'd like to hear anything from him. Okay, I wanted to just maybe get a little bit into the 100-foot setback, just so I'm clear on it, and uh, I'm presuming, and staff probably correct me, that the purpose of the 100-foot uh, setback is flood control? Is that why you have 100 feet? Correct. There's riparian that we look at. It's in our zoning ordinance. It's required. Um, we look at riparian areas and, and floodplain. And we did a full riparian report on this. It's outside. This particular project is outside that. It's outside the floodplain. But yeah, we and that's what the variance is about. There's uh, we can review it more intensely and see if it is going to affect the creek individually. And this does not. But that standard is 100 feet in the county. And 100 feet does that come from? Uh, Army Corps of Engineers? That's our zoning ordinance. Um, that's 100 feet in the zoning ordinance countywide. And I guess what I'm fishing for is a basis for that? If you have history maybe on it. I, we have staff reviews the particulars. I mean, if this is something unique, we have to make sure that uh, it meets that 100 feet. If it goes any closer, a variance is required. Further analysis, anytime a discretionary permit comes in, it triggers environmental review. And usually with uh, that variance, we have to do the environmental review. Is it impacting the creek? So we put out this buffer area-wide to say, okay, it's sensitive areas. We know that. But how sensitive is it? We, we don't know until we still see the projects individually. Now we've got a project in, and we do all the analysis to make those determinations. Okay, so it's not uncommon to... I guess what I'm hearing to allow variance within that 100 foot zone as long as the environmental document supports it. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And I guess for you, uh, you were saying elevation wise, uh, where you're going to have the deck on the house is going to be how high from the creek? Uh, over 40 feet, I believe. Over 40 feet above it? Okay. I have a question there. Yeah. Wayne? Um, this letter that you put out yesterday. Uh, I'm just guessing that it did not satisfy the concerns that they've expressed this morning. I believe it does, but you'd have to speak to them directly on that. I would think that because they, they've seen this letter, right? Yes, we talked Prior about that letter yesterday, and they have, uh, we circulated that okay. same Well, I'm, I'm assuming since they gave testimony this morning that their concerns that it did not completely address it. So that's, I'm just asking if you were able to work this out. I think that they liked all of the things that we offered, uh, but they would have to answer that question on whether they have accepted it or not. Uh, could I call, or could we have the, their representative or one of them step back up and ask about that? Sure. Oh, we're going to get two. Okay. We have two. Okay. Okay. Commissioner, we, we, we agree in principle to what they're proposing. The problem is, is we don't have the plans in front of us now, so we don't know whether anything is going to be adequately mitigated. And they're not enforceable conditions of approval. So but we, we'd love to rest on, you know, Mr. Davis is a stand-up guy. I'd love to, you know, be able to take his word for it that they're going to be stand-up neighbors. But what happens if the property is sold? What, we, we just, there's too many unknowns. And that's why these kinds of issues are evaluated as part of the environmental document, and they're made enforceable conditions of approval. 
And then we have recourse if they don't follow through with that through the county. So do, that's okay. Do are these eight items that he addressed? Do they do they satisfy you if they were in a more formal? Well, I, I think if we had a staging plan before us, if we had a dust control plan, if we had the construction plan, if we had those things before us and we were able to see what the actual impacts were um, and, and evaluate those, sit down with them, and then those became enforceable conditions. Yeah, and there were performance standards. That, that's the problem here is there are no performance standards. We'll, we'll create a plan. What is that plan going to entail? What are the maximums that, that you can you know, hit before you, you exceed the plan? That, that's what our issue is. The other point, the other point we've raised is we have an as I've raised in, in the opening remarks, there's going to be an economic impact on the lodge, and and I think Gary has is done the letter which I reviewed yesterday. It, it's a good start, but we feel we need more time, and we're asking for that's why we asked for the delay. We don't want the project to be canceled. We need to delay and more time to talk to them. And we really think that we can work these issues out. the The problem is, is once you have a project approval. It, you know, there's incentives that you, so, right. so if we could work these things out, these become enforceable conditions right. of approval, sure. we'd be in a lot better position going yeah, forward. Yeah, I understand. They'd so, be less motivated if we go ahead and approve it today. That, that's, that's our concern. Right. Yes. Let me see. So, you know, I'm reading here a lot of uh, conditions of approval, and I guess it's your contention that these are not enforceable? They're, they're not definite or specific enough to be enforceable. They, they say the applicant shall prepare a plan, but there's no performance standards for the plan. You, you know, it's li like the construction staging plan. The, the staging shall be as far as practical away from residents. Well, what does that mean? We, how is that enforced? There's no definite standard. If you, if you can come up with certain standards as to where they're going to stage, where these things are going to be located, the hours, uh, you know, the truck trips, those types of things, then we, then you have a, a definite condition of approval that can be enforced, and that you know they understand that they're under obligation to abide by those, and and that's really what CEQA requires. It requires definite performance standards and a list of measures that you choose from to meet those performance standards. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any yeah. other? Questions? If I can throw something out there, just. Uh, uh, one option the commissioner may have is, is if this was returned back to staff, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Gary Davis letter dated June 25th, which has a number of uh, uh, provisions that they propose to incorporate as part of the project. Those are, those could be incorporated into conditions and fine-tuned, so there are timing mechanisms on those. Uh, but if it was returned back to us, we would have time to work with both parties and possibly come back with some uh, more uh, further uh, refined conditions of approval. I, I know we probably want to discuss this some more. Are we going to go into discussion on this? Well, or? I think if we've essentially closed the okay. public comment, it's up okay. to us to decide whether we want to do as staff may have suggested right. or do we want to take yeah. action or what do we want to do? Can Let's I just discuss. kind of throw something out? I, uh, sure. This is a very complex project with a whole lots of, I think, uh, potential impacts and and to ask for this many variances, well, I know we feel like we kind of those have been processed through. Um, I, I just I want to make sure that we have uh, certainly gone to a, a far extent to give the public the opportunity to to weigh in on this. I'm, I'm troubled that the MAC uh, spent, as I understand, four hours on this at their last meeting and couldn't really come to a conclusion other than on one item. I mean, that, that speaks to the complexity of this whole thing. And so I, I think, you know, is it a worthy project? 
it may be, but I think we just need to take it a little bit further down the road to make sure that we're satisfying the concerns of the community. Okay. And, and so I would propose that we that we postpone that decision until the the two parties can get together and hammer out with the county um, the uh, these uh, issues that need to be more defined. EJ, oh excuse me, what do you see as a time frame for us to bring this back if we followed your suggestion? Yeah, the question is whether or not this would be heard up here in Tahoe. We don't have any. Commission meetings planned up here in Tahoe, maybe something in Auburn. So I'm not sure that, that would cause any issue for uh, you know the applicant or the the, the other party. Well, uh, could, could I ask a question, EJ, on that? There is the potential this may get kicked down the road. I mean, that's up to the commission. But I, I'm seeing that this may motivate us to come back up again for this, right? The, if I can interject, the request in that one, um, just for purposes of right. Uh, this discussion right. has to go off calendar, not a date certain. Oh, okay. I don't know if we're there yet with this particular project, so I wouldn't oh, okay. tie them together. Oh, okay. And we can do the same on this. We could, yes. right. Well, we continued another item this morning, or another item was continued by the applicant that may perpetuate a Tahoe, that's true. A Tahoe meeting. Right, and right. So and we, we, can can we can certainly accommodate that. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, Commissioner Nader makes a good point. Is there any other thoughts on this? Uh, two. Um, one, <clears throat> it appears that uh, <clears throat> the only thing that the MAC did have some regards about definitely was the, 30, was the land coverage. Right. And I don't know that that's going to be something that they're going to debate or want to debate between themselves. I still think that's going to be our call. Does this, you know, do we bucket and say yes or no on that? And the other thing is I agree that we should probably lay a little bit on the further study of it. Uh, just thinking back of the North Star problems that we listened to the last couple of meetings about this settling pond and the people down below it, that was engineered and they we gave their, you know, opinion for groundwater seepage and stuff like that. And there's still problems and they're both going like this still. So my, mo my, my thoughts would be yes, let's look at that a little further into that. I guess what I'm wondering is uh, there were some concerns about the environmental document and so if we were to uh, look at this uh, we're just talking about uh, having some meetings dealing with the, some conditions or the specificity of the conditions to clear up some of the misunderstandings or with the are, are we going to be looking today at you know, not approving the environmental document and, and uh, putting it back to where that has to be relooked at again. So that's maybe an issue when you think about it as a commission. Well, I think the staff will review any changes they make against the environmental right. document and weigh that, and you know, that'll be part of their recommendation when it comes back. So I think it'll that's either correct. have to be consistent or they'll have to adjust it right. and redo that's it. That's correct. Well, I, I, I agree with everything that's been said uh, up to now. I'd just like to point out, like, the, you know, this June 25th. Today's, what, June 26th? So I think, and although these are not new, necessarily new items, I mean, they're, they're kind of ex a further explanation of what's in there. They, it is something new, and I agree with uh, what Mr. Nader is proposing and what staff is, I guess, agreeing to or whatever, that this does need to be looked at. And it sounds like everybody does want to sit down and, and, and work on it. and. I'd rather have that than a big fight and lawsuits and what have you that might come down. It is a very unusual project. When I saw that, I didn't even quite see how it all related until I started looking at the maps. But 
there are quite a few issues still I think that need to be addressed so I would like to see it um, referred back to staff for both uh, further evaluation of this memo get together with the applicant and some of the other people involved and um, bring it bring it back at a off off calendar as suggested by by the uh, county council here okay someone uh, do we need a motion on yes that? we do we need a motion to continue to an open date is that correct also move we have a motion is there a second second any further discussion is there is there i realize you're continuing an open date is there a, a window that we could look at for this i think there's some probably some urgency that although we we don't know what the outcome of uh, north stars hearings are going to be and we still don't know what squaw valley's actual final discussions with the owners actually work out to be either. right yeah Kathy second there's a second meeting in July which may or may not be too soon and then there's a the first meeting in August I don't know if you can give me the us of okay. those dates thanks EJ I think that gives us an idea we're still looking at mid-summer or something yeah, I think we should look at a short time frame yeah and I think we should have the meeting here yeah I do too okay we can accommodate that I agree. I thought you would. <laughs> All right, we have a motion and a second. Uh, roll call, please. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Moss absent. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denio absent. Mr. Sebastian? Yes. Okay, you, uh, you all understand what's happened. We've continued just to an open date pending the outcome of the discussions between you guys. Parties and hope that you can bring back a resolution that everyone's pretty much in agreement with you. Or, or I would like to, if, if you don't have agreement on on most of the items, I'd like to, when if it came when it comes back to us, that there might be only one or two or, or several items that we need to resolve, I guess, or vote on, um, or make a decision one way or the other on not, not you know. Whether they're important or not. Well, no, the important they'll be they'll be important if, because it's if they have a, if they have a disagreement on anything because it's it's awfully difficult to try and mitigate at a public hearing twenty or thirty items, so hopefully you can get it down to zero, or at least a very small number for us to discuss further here. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. That's what my desire would be. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We have. Uh, I'll further clarify. We we had scheduled next uh, North Star plan and that has been withdrawn by the applicant well, to so, so we'll have to we'll have to have the commission Vote make on. a motion on that so Do you I, want a motion and I, and I can take that item if you if okay you wish, unless you well if you need it <coughs> you want to jump into that item or do you want to take a recess <laughs> no in the north star Right, I'm, I'm, I can present that just real quick as far as uh, request for continuing. Was there was there somebody from the one? Can we just public comment? I got a second that we continue it. I make a motion. Well, no, hold, hold, a minute. hold a minute there. <laughs> there may be there may be people that want to make a comment. Is an agenda. Well, take, well, take, here's my here's my suggestion. Uh, so so we have a request. The next item, North Star Mount Master, we have a request from the applicant, which you have a copy of the letter that they're requesting uh, that the planning commission continue it to and off-calendar date uh, so the Commission will be asked to make a, uh, a motion to that effect uh, if, if that's the case uh, 
my recommendation, since there is no staff report or anything to present uh, regarding the project itself, that we do not take any public comment on this, that we wait for a full presentation by staff. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, well, we, we can. Uh, okay, we'll do that. We'd like to keep you here. Uh, is there. I guess I'm curious why we can't have public comment. I guess because we're not hearing the project. Is it? You're not hearing the project. You can take comment on the continuance, but I think it is patently unfair to, when, when the request is to continue the item, to take any actual comments on the project itself. Okay. You can reopen the public comment period if, if you so desire. I would state on the record that those comments will not be associated with this project Good. file because they will right. be during the general public comment period. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and you can do that at the end of the meeting if you want to. Uh -huh. yes. Or you can do it now. Too. Or now. Well, we're going to just Mickey. It's up to you. You're the chair. You decide. <laughs> well, we did. Def I, you, have I, a, you have a quorum, don't you? You still have yeah, four. Yeah, we still have a quorum. We did tell her she could come here and comment earlier this morning, and I, I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty about it. And I, uh, I guess I'm tempted to let her comment as long as she doesn't address well, the project but discusses the continuances. Well, Larry, just open it, as, reopen it as a public comment now and then they can come up and state whatever they want. Or take your vote on a continuance and then right. open it as a public comment. If you're going to reopen the general public comment period, my recommendation is you first take your vote on this request right. Right. to continue the pro right. this project item off calendar take the vote, we dispense with that, then you can make a motion to reopen the general public comment period right. and take additional general public comment, but keep the two separate. Well, uh, Mickey made a, a move, uh, <laughs> a motion. Here he comes, here he comes. He's, he's here. To continue the item. I, right. You started yes. 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 All right, we have a motion to continue the item to an open time. Second. And we have a second. Uh, is there any further comment? Oh, roll call. Uh, Mr. Gray. Yes. Mr. Nader. Yes. Mr. Moss absent. Mr. Johnson. Yes. Mr. Ricucci. Yes. Mr. DeMaio absent. Mr. Citizen. Yes. Okay. Now we'll allow a public comment. Reopen it. Reopen, Reopen the public comment and, and invite anyone forward that would care to. Ellie Waller, Tahoe Vista resident. For the record, I'll make this brief. I will submit my comments for the FEIS, for the North Star Master Plan. Um, you need to hear this. I went to the NITRAC meeting where this was approved five to three. I believe that vote would have been different. These people were only provided three days to make a recommendation to this board. And that is why I'm here today. It, and the applicant is now stating that the approval, um, they're asking for the extension and pulled off the calendar so they can revisit the mitigation monitoring 
and reporting of the project and overriding considerations. Those things were not provided to the NITRAC, and I think this should go back to the NITRAC before it comes to you. Thank you for the opportunity for that comment. Okay, Thanks, Any more public comment? Is there any other persons that would care to comment? Uh, Ann Nichols, North Tahoe Preservation Alliance. Um, I was at that NITRAC meeting too, and you know what's really been confusing about this application is that in between the draft environmental and the final, the uh, zoning text amendment to change the allowed use for TPZ lands, timber production lands, was changed from being specific to North Star to being allowed anywhere in Placer County except inside the Tahoe Basin. So that was made midstream, and I don't think anybody was understanding that change. So that, I think that's another reason that it needs to go back to NITRAC, so that's very clear that this is not just a project change. It's something that's going to affect all of Placer County. Thank you. Okay, I think staff heard that. Hopefully they did. I think you better clarify, Mayor. I think one staff member was saying yes over there. They heard uh, their comments. Okay. Okay. Uh, and perhaps that is an issue that needs to be addressed as a separate item countywide uh, as a zoning text amendment or whatever category you put it in and, and maybe uh, it should be discussed as a memo with the board and have them give us direction as to whether or not we should take it as a special item and just see what their response might be you know just tell them we're requesting to the back? No, I'm talking about the Board of Supervisors because this is a county-wide issue. It, once you, once TPZ has changed the categories that can be conducted within that zoning, uh, I would like the Board to authorize us to move forward in that direction. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, you understand what I'm trying to get at? If, if they choose to, if they say, you know, we want to keep it site-specific, and they can tell us that, and we we can hear it as part of the project. But I, I think it would be good to have their input. Yeah, I guess as a as a forester, <laughs> I was looking at that myself, and I thought that was a pretty significant change in policy for the county when you look at it fairly broadly, and possibly even in North Star. But when you look at it broadly, that's a very significant policy change. Okay, with that, it's uh, public comment, I guess. One more public comment. comment. All right. Yeah, I have more of a question. Um, I'm William Danka. I'm a registered professional forester, and I did forestry at North Star from '95 to uh, 1995 to 2011 as a contractor. So I did basically all the forest management over there. I left in um, 2011. Because uh, I didn't agree with what we're doing. That's not the point. My question is about the TPC. <laughs> is that in, there's a zoning text amendment and there's state law, the timber yield tax law, that says that the county supervisors, the board of supervisors, can propose a use, another use that they may feel is compatible in the TPZ zone. Now, then I see that the zoning text amendment is as part of the project. 
Now, will can you guys, the Planning Commission, approve that TPZ tech zoning amendment that, that adds this other ski trail use in as part of the project, or are there going to be other public hearings through the board as, with the, in front of the board of supervisors to talk about this proposed new use in TPZ? We can recommend it to the board of supervisors one way or another, and then they can act independently. Uh, are they required to act? I mean, are they required to act in it, or would they just say, you know, tr you know, you guys make a decision or recommendation? No, it didn't work that way. The supervisor yeah. has to make the zoning change. Okay, so will th there will be another round of public hearings on the TPZ issue. <coughs> well, the way if the board chooses to do it, that's what I'm right. Zoning. zoning what I'm asking staff to take to the board of supervisors is that they consider that. Yeah, and just to clarify, zoning text amendments have to be approved by the Board of Supervisors. Okay. The zoning text amendment that is associated with this North Star Mountain Master Plan uh, is that would be brought forward to the Planning Commission for a recommendation that would go to the Board of Supervisors. What I'm hearing from Commissioner Sevenson is that, you know, maybe there should be a separate discussion of the, of the ZTA at the board separate from the North Star Mountain Master well, Plan? Am I not hearing that right? Well, there was public comment that indicated that maybe the result of doing that was going to open up TPC countywide to miscellaneous uses. And there was concern about that. And I, and I, I just was hoping that the board would take this as an item and give us direction as to do they want us to consider it specifically for North Star only and leave it there as, as it has been in the past or should we consider uh, that maybe it's a, a county-wide issue? And I'm not sure. I have never thought of it as a county-wide issue personally. It's always been specific to North Star, is my recollection. I guess. I guess kind of along those lines, though, if uh, if uh, a zoning text amendment is included in the North Star proposal as just North Star, that still would have to be approved by. The supervisors based on a recommendation of the plan. Right. That's correct. Yeah. That's so correct. either way, it would take uh, supervisors' approval. Yeah, the planning commission will make saying, a recommendation yeah. one way or the other on that before it goes to the board. But then the other idea is that when you when you kind of open the Pandora's box, yeah. mm -hmm. then it does tend to become a possible wide uh, wide county issue because the you know, the board would be saying that, you know, in this case we can do as do it. And so, you know, other people might propose because you did it here. Right. So and, it becomes and, kind of a know, precedence. Not typical of any other zoning text amendment that, that your commission has heard before. It, it would be, uh, it would still go to the planning commission first for a recommendation. Mm -hmm. So just in the case of, of the situation we're talking about, uh, we would still ask you for a recommendation. So I'm not certain that we would get, you know, you would be in a position where you would be getting a direction from the Board of Supervisors. You actually would be providing a recommendation on it to the Board of Supervisors. Okay. But there's, there's this discussion, and I'm not sure how it came about, that, that because of something that we were doing, whether it was in the environmental document, I believe Ellie mentioned that it was covered in the environmental document, that that was going to become a countywide issue. 
I don't think we have to discuss that as part of this project necessarily. I think that's a separate issue. And, and, and not to get into this, the North Star Mount Master Plan project, which we can't discuss today, right. uh, based on your action, that there is a, you know, that is a component in there that, that if, you know, the fact that it is in there, it will be brought before you to have that discussion. And I would expect that to happen, and that's okay. I, the issue that I'm a little concerned about out is if we take that action, and approve the project and it's in the environmental document that's going to be countywide or refers to us that way, I think that's a concern. <clears throat> Is that, am I um, That no. makes perfect sense. That makes sense. And, and, and you, would, you, would, you would want to express those concerns in the recommendation to the Board of Supervisors. Okay, we can do that. That'll right. be fine. All right. I think that's how it would be handled. Yeah. Could I ask one more question? I mean, I'm trying to get... You had any easier ones? <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, because it's getting more confusing, but... Um, I hope I can make a simple question, but okay, so the TPZ zoning text amendment is an issue no matter what. I mean, state law says that the County Board of Supervisors have to approve this new, a new proposed compatible use. So whether it's the county-wide or just the project-wide, that is the issue that they have to address it as per the state mm -hmm. timber tax law. And, and then with county rules, there's, there will be public hearings, specifically for the TPZ issue or not. Will there be additional public hearings just for the Board of Supervisors when they uh, take that on? Public no. notification and... It'll be part of this project. So, it's, so the public hearing, does that mean the public hearing has already happened? No, no. it hasn't no. even been there, there, there will be uh, the North Star Mount Master Plan project was just continued to an yeah, open okay. end. Yeah. So there will be a public hearing at a uh, planning commission here in Tahoe as, as, okay, as we come up with. And then there will also be a Board of Supervisors hearing, another uh, opportunity for public input to, on... To discuss the TBZ issues. To discuss the North Star Mount yeah, Master okay. Plan and the, rela and the related TPZ right. issue. All that is part of their proposal. Okay, thank you. Because I was just trying to make sure that that... The, the final meeting would not be the end of it, that this has got to be out <coughs> there. Because I think a lot of people, because it wasn't noticed well. even in the, the draft well, DIR, when well. that public notice came out, it said various Placer County discretionary permits never disclosed the TPZ zoning text amendment in that public notice. So I got that in the mail, set aside the EIR over the holidays because it came out right before Thanksgiving, picked it up after Christmas, and, and holy smoke, you know, being a forester, I, I started digging into that TPZ issue and said, wow, that's never happened before that you, you know, can't just approve a compatible use planning commission. It's got to go to the board. So thank you. Well, we will, we will be reviewing the final yeah. environmental impact statement. So this public hearing will be potentially the final hearing at the planning commission level. And did right. I hear a request to have it sent back to the NAC as well? That we might be considered or not? Well, I don't know. That's... Well, I mean, we just heard it, so we, I won't ask. Be the what is requested by the... I think that's public. the staff's decision. If they yeah. think yeah. there's going to be that's enough changes as a result of this, it could go back. I, I don't think it's... Yeah, certainly when it comes before the Planning Commission um, and the same question comes up, we, you, it could be your decision to send it back to the map. Well, okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Anyone else? Quickly? If not, we're going to take a...
two minute recess. Well, we have got one, you got got one person walking in. I know. I know we have another item, but so I have no person person walking in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. I didn't know if this was the correct place or not. My name is Christian Michael Steele, and I am a, a property holder in uh, Tahoe City for the past six years. And I, I come just looking for some direction. I understand we're doing some new zoning plans and this type of stuff. And I have a 30-acre parcel. And are you entertaining new or possibility for new projects at this point? Can, is this a public um, uh, open to the public right now for new projects, or is this are we on an agenda for existing projects? Well, this is just for existing projects that have been proposed. Where is the property? It's kind of been under the radar for a long time. It's in Tallahassee, right across from the high school. It's 30 acres, which is green belted by forest lands. And I'm trying to do a uh, like a world-class retreat. And I wanted to get some direction on who to talk with and talk to be able to uh, address to try to see if I can get the county to support I, this type of project. I would encourage you to get in contact with staff, staff. he's got his little finger up, and, and talk to him outside of this meeting and also get involved in the community plan process that's going on with Placer County about this whole region and TRPA, which also is in, interested in what you're doing. So uh, to get would, to support of staff first is what you would be. Saying. I would start with the county staff, yes. Yep. They, they will answer most of your questions for sure. Thank you. Sure. Okay, we're going to take a two-minute recess. <laughs> the agenda says it's, it's 1040. We don't have a quorum, Larry. <laughs> yeah, we have three. And this is just an action item, This next item is on an action item. It's just a report. Very short. I was told that Steve was going to talk really fast, because otherwise <laughs> he had to buy lunch. <laughs> All right, we're going to have a quick update on the community plan for the Tom Basin from Steve, and uh, I want you to all listen very closely and ask questions. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chair. <laughs> Did you challenge him to be quick? Yes. Why? <laughs> Otherwise, because he has to buy lunch. It's <laughs> enforceable no questions, right? <laughs> uh, once again, Steve Yulna uh, providing an update on the Tahoe Community Plan. Uh, for your commission on behalf of Planning Services Division. Um, what I intend to do is provide a little background on uh, where we've been with the, the community plan update and, uh, and then I'll also outline the next steps uh, along the way. <clears throat> As your commission will uh, likely recall, uh, the direction came from our Board of Supervisors in July of 2011 uh, to initiate the uh, update of the plans. Um, the Tahoe area currently holds uh, nine um, separate uh, community plans or general plans and the idea behind this is to update that um, to uh, contain one overarching uh, policy uh, community plan and then there will be four separate um, development codes that will come uh, out of that. Um, the next slide will actually uh, illustrate those four uh, development codes will um, identify the different uh, areas within them. Uh, Placer County portion of the Tahoe region. Uh, we have the North Tahoe East Plan area, uh, which is uh, largely the Kings Beach area um, east towards the uh, state line. Uh, then there's North Tahoe West Plan area, and that's uh, essentially the Tahoe Vista and Carnelian Bay area. Uh, the Greater Tahoe City Plan area is um, essentially uh, Dollar Hill um, down to just uh, south of the Y the remainder um, large areas uh, West Shore uh, plan area. 
today, uh, the update before uh, your planning commission is yet another example of the uh, extensive public outreach uh, that's been conducted uh, along the way for this process. Uh, we've held 28 community uh, workshops or meetings, seven town hall meetings, um, various stakeholder interviews, uh, as well as regular updates before the North Tahoe Regional Advisory Council, as well as uh, the Board of Supervisors. Uh, we've also prepared an existing conditions report and economic market analysis, and that helped to uh, inform the visioning process. Uh, there's been visioning process for both the Tahoe City um, area, for both town centers essentially, the Kings Beach area, as well as uh, Tahoe City. From the visioning efforts, uh, topical policy uh, workshops that I'll uh, speak to in the uh, next slide here uh, were conducted to uh, help uh, provide the framework uh, for the policy document. We've also prepared a public review draft of the community plan policy document. And I'll just note um, a couple of these items I'm going to speak to in more detail on uh, a couple of the subsequent slides. Um, Staff has also uh, begun to the preparation of the pilot or prototype administrative draft uh, area plans or development codes, uh, specifically the Kings Beach area. Um, we've selected an EIR, EIS uh, consultant. Um, you'll note the environmental document for this uh, will both serve the needs of the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency as well as the county, and that's the reason for the EIR, EIS component. Um, and uh, we've also begun a parking management I mentioned uh, topical policy uh, workshops. Um, these began after um, uh, the uh, public workshops were conducted in uh, fall of uh, 2013. There was four topics that were uh, selected uh, for more detailed discussion. It also provided an opportunity for the public to ask questions and um, uh, provide comment or feedback as well. Um, those topic areas were conservation, recreation, public service and facilities, transportation, um, and of course, land use, community design, and development potential. Uh, in a meeting uh, very similar to the uh, update before you today, uh, the Board of Supervisors conducted a uh, public workshop on uh, April 21st uh, over in Tahoe City at Grand Labock. And uh, the purpose of that uh, meeting was for uh, staff to provide um, a status update report on um, the work that's been done, also to um, discuss the community vision visioning that uh, had been uh, completed, and um, uh, to uh, speak to the um, several different uh, components, including uh, opportunity sites. I'll speak to that in just a minute here, um, but also to provide the board with uh, an outline on the timeline of where we're at in the, the process and what the next steps are. And, course to always receive a direction from the board on uh, how to proceed. This slide actually does a real good job of encapsulating a lot of what I'm uh, speaking to here and showing where the different components uh, tie together for the community plan update process, starting with the community vision, existing conditions report, uh, then dovetails in, into the uh, visioning documents and the framework portion of the community plan policy. Um, from that, uh, we drafted the community plan uh, policy document um, that I'll speak to in the, one of the next slides and um, the next step along the ways uh, that we're uh, getting to work on as well as the draft area plans, those four plans that I spoke to earlier. Uh, public review draft Tahoe uh, community plan. 
Um, this, uh, this document uh, came out as a result of those uh, four topical uh, policy uh, workshops that were held in the fall of 2013. Um, this uh, document was released in May for a 45-day public comment period, uh, which actually ended on uh, Monday, uh, June 23rd. Um, from, uh, from here, uh, staff is about beginning to work on the uh, four individual uh, area plans, as I mentioned. Um, one of the, um, uh, the results of uh, some of the community uh, meetings that we've had uh, was that the community uh, identified the, the need for staff to take a look at some of the, the parking needs and uh, issues uh, within the, the Tahoe Basin. Um, the result of that, the Department of Public Works and Planning Services Division began uh, to, to take on that pro uh, work project and prepare um, a parking management plan. There's basically going to be two components to that. One is uh, to take a look at the existing um, plan language and parking ratios, development standards, design standards, and update those to current standards. Uh, in the Tahoe Basin, we're currently operating under um, guidance from the community plans, which was right around the 1994 uh, era. Uh, the other is to identify potential areas where we may be able to address some of the, the parking need. Um, one of those areas was the Gro Grove Street parking lot in Tahoe City. Um, and uh, Kings Beach is a little bit more unique in that uh, we need to look at the individual um, sites throughout the area. This um, management plan will uh, take a look at, at all those components and the review of this will run concurrent with the uh, other efforts within the uh, community plan update. Speaking to the community plan update, EIR, EIS, uh, the county has selected a, a consultant, uh, Ascent Environmental, uh, which has prepared the scope of work um, for proceeding with this. Uh, that will include the uh, evaluating the community plan policy document, um, land use and zoning, um, as well as program level review of opportunity sites. I'll speak to that in, in uh, the next slide here. Um, and as many of you are aware, uh, the area plan portion, uh, the county will um, adopt the area plans, but we also need to um, submit those to TRPA to determine that they're in in conformance with the regional plan update. Um, so uh, all of that will be um, addressed by the consultant. <clears throat> Opportunity sites. Um, one of the uh, components of uh, the community plan will be to analyze uh, potential uh, opportunity sites at a more of a program level. Uh, what these sites would be is um, some sites in uh, Tahoe City as well as Kings Beach, and I'll show you those uh, in one of these next slides here. Um, but they're sites that are uh, intended to provide a catalyst uh, for uh, furthering the uh, efforts of the community plan update and implementing the goals and policies that are contained within that document. So moving to Tahoe City, uh, there's six uh, locations identified. Um, most of you are probably familiar with these, um, but if you have any questions, I can point them out a little bit better. Uh, the Hendrickson property, um, just north and to the west of that, the uh, larger area, the golf course uh, to the south, uh, Fanning Bridge right at the Y, um, moving just north uh, to Commons Beach. Um, area number five, this is uh, basically the, the Tahoe Marina area um, and the area surrounding that. And then, of course, the river uh, from properties. Uh, that's the, the properties along the, the river entering into Tahoe City. Moving over to where we're at now, uh, the opportunity sites within the uh, Kings Beach area. 
Um, I'm sure you're also uh, familiar with uh, the Kings Beach Town Center, um, also referred to as BBLC. Um, that area is, is being analyzed, um, as well as waterfront uh, improvements. Actually, um, that uh, encapsulates the area that we're around right, right now. And then just in the north of that, between Seacline and Deer, um, that, that block uh, is also being analyzed for uh, future development. Question, what, yeah. what determines an opportunity area? An opportunity area is uh, areas that, um, that are being identified and, and um, analyzed just at a, a very program level. We're not taking a look at the project level uh, review, um, but to do some of the environmental analysis in, in preparation and... I know, but what, why those areas and not some other area, I mean? That's a good question. Do you... Well, like, for example, the, the ones in Kings Beach, the, um, the one property that was identified was the uh, formal, former BBLC project. That was a, an EIP project that there was at one point a, a proposed development there. The other one are some of the, uh, in Kings Beach, are the redevelopment areas, uh, the properties that were owned by uh, the redevelopment agency. Uh, and so the, and number two right here, why? That's here. Yeah, that's uh, the recreation area yes. and potential possibilities to further uh, redevelop uh, this area into uh, to have more events and things like that here. So, well, I guess what my question is: Do the people who have this property now, or us, ask to be this, or do we go in and say, "Well, that looks good. Let's pick that as an opportunity area." What's what's the difference a block down to the left from that? I mean, what why are those opportunity areas and not somewhere else? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, it's, on this, but I, I think those uh, areas that were just identified as being suitable for potential um, redevelopment. Yeah. So there might be. Uh, I mean, did the community say that's where we think it is, or did a staff person say that, or did somebody here at the board say, "I like that one"? I'm, uh, I'm just. It was, it, you know, as part of the visioning process. Mm -hmm. uh, there was community meetings. Um, like I said, number one there, that's the former. Uh, Kings Beach Town Center BBLLC, BBLC site uh, that was a uh, well I have no argument with this sites being chosen might be the right ones I'm just curious as to the procedure for choosing opportunity sites just a quick one the, sentence answer yeah the identification of the opportunity sites was uh, one of the components that went before the Board of Supervisors along with the, the timeline so the board uh, did have the opportunity to weigh in on what well, I'm, I'm not curious about the board I'm just saying how come these got presented to the board why these sites? That's all. Just a simple question. How come these sites got chosen as opportunity sites? Who? I mean, is there a committee that does it? How about you? Well, there's been, yeah, there's been communities, that, committees and stuff to a certain degree. I think it's just a schematic. I don't think those yellow circles are precise at all. I think they just show regions that are to look at. As an example, on the right side of circle two, there's a proposal for a waterborne transit pier. Mm -hmm. And so that will feed tourists into this. Right, so so these are the people who were, want to put that in. Are they the ones who said this is an opportunity site? Yeah. You know, I think uh, part of it too, Commissioner uh, Gray, is, is our economic development um, division. They they were really involved in uh, looking at the areas within Kings Beach and and Tahoe City and uh, areas that are 
like I said, were former redevelopment sites. So uh, all of these were former redevelopment no, sites? Not, no, not all of them, some of them, but, but some of them. Well, uh, some of them are, have been uh, identified have, by have recent well, I can, sales. Well, speaking like in City of Roseville, they, I think we use the same terminology. Uh, mm -hmm. Opportunity sites are the ones sometimes that are just vacant land or, or, or underutilized land or maybe land that, that maybe for, could be for redevelopment could be uh, right. and I'm just curious on how the decision for those sites was made and I still haven't heard an answer yet keep, as to how those keep, keep in mind okay if you want to know I got in my pencil my yellow <laughs> deal and I did it okay it's well it'd be fine coming up that'd be fine I'm just it was <laughs> it was from our um, economic <laughs> development department they were they were the ones part tasked of with of coming up with the uh, yes okay. potential sites. Yeah, they were. It right. had That's all I was looking for the economic conference. That's and it's been reviewed by the public, of course. It's been in all the public meetings. It's been in front of the board. Um, We've gone through lots of hearings. I don't think it's site specific necessarily very much. I think no, it's just region areas. Yeah, mm -hmm. because well, see, I, I've never heard anybody yeah. tell me that everything inside those circles is where you can get. I think. As far as transferring in from uh, under the TRPA thing, transferring in density and height and different things, these areas were, I think, in the, the blue area would have been the probably the area that is most logical for uh, the town city rules or huh? some kind of rules concerning that. Uh, well, area. yeah, the TRPA plan encourages mm -hmm. moving density out of areas that is that are high hazard, you know, stream zones and things, and transferring the density into these town centers. And, and they were encouraged to get the development out of those stream zones. And the idea was that we'd move it into the town centers where people could walk and, mm -hmm. and not have to drive walkable, to do everything. Walkable, walkable community. community. So there'll be, uh, that's, that's one of the, the, just the big I mean, pluses, yeah. Okay. Because there's going to be sidewalks. Bike trails and then hopefully waterborne transit is in addition to what's already there. So, so just to understand economic development council is that the um, economic development division? Division it's part of the C CEO's office. Okay. They don't have anything to do anymore. Yeah. <coughs> now they got well, yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Could you go back to Tahoe City? Absolutely. What's number six? It's a um, riverfront properties just as you enter into uh, Tahoe City, um, if you're coming from Truckee to the, the right there. Um, I believe that's the um, Caltrans Yard. Or yeah, Caltrans Yard. Yard oh, okay. Yard. Yeah. I was just wondering if it's part of the uh, rafting or No, that's actually um, located uh, closer to three, but outside, of, well, portions of it are, are within the, the three areas. See, here again, the circles are a little bit. Yeah. Misleading, I think it's somewhere, it's somewhere in the future is going to be more precise. I mm -hmm. would hope yeah, it's like just areas. Yeah, well, I was just having kind of an errant thought if it was rafting, but you apparently have rafting up at three. Is uh, when we have a, a hearing frequently where we're looking at the uh, the county permits for rafting, mm -hmm. there's always a, a conflict that comes up where the uh, National Forest put in point there uh, where all the users in that area conflict and it seems to me in the process maybe it's already in the thought process but it could be that uh, that uh, you know through the process maybe the county could take a look at uh, acquiring a special use permit so you can manage 
the overall rafting activities on the Truckee River and could be the Forest Service would be compatible with that idea. Just just a thought to throw out, maybe totally errant, but when I look at the map I see that and I always hear this problem coming up and the rafting companies are always having to clean up after the people that uh, are just out there having a good time with their beer cans or whatever. And so to somehow combine that maybe uh, you know maybe in the process somewhere in this I don't think the Forest Service is at all interested in the rafting on the river. They've, we've talked to them a hundred times about it over the years, and they just, if we want to do it, it's okay with them. Yeah, so that you may be, have an opportunity to enter to some kind of permit with them where actually the county could control all the rafting. Well, I think we do now, pretty much all the commercial rafting. Yeah, but I mean the private too. You could have so, some kind so of So number three is... is that there is more of a, a river walk concept where you'd have um, uh, a walking area, a pedestrian path along the river in, mm -hmm. in that area, um, maybe a boutique hotel area. So there was some discussion in the visioning uh, process about having uh, river, river walk opportunities, recreation mm -hmm. in, in that, it's, as it just relates to number three. Okay. Well, maybe my thought was Eric, but I'm just throwing it out. See, the the reason I think that he's outlining that as a river walk area is because probably the new road is going to turn off and go diagonally across between three and six mm -hmm. and intersect with a roundabout, and that's what's being proposed and I think is funded now. And so that will be the bypass of the traffic. It will mitigate the West Shore traffic, hopefully. Mm. And there'll be what a bridge at six or something. Huh? It'd be, will there be a bridge at six or something? It'd be like a that? bridge across the river. Mm -hmm. There's some hope amongst various personnel that uh, the Caltrans yard will be taken out mm -hmm. and moved across on the north side yes. of the road. And then, then that road and going across is what the new transit center area that that property the road would go across. Yeah, it goes mm -hmm. across. You know, and picks up. Yeah. And you'd be a roundabout over here. Yeah, no, uh, Irish. Where the blue line whatever. crosses the. Any rate, you, you would cut that corner off, and right. that, that and, and that's pretty much been funded and going to go forward as it appears. Alleviate some of that Y problem. Yeah, it'll alleviate that. So there's some discussion about the existing bridge, which is three, was in the in the dam and that whole area to become sort of a pedestrian friendly area, you know, and. Uh, it seems makes some sense. Yeah. And then of course the the bottom edge of five is that you see that pier going out. That's going to be the it's supposed to be the the waterborne transit channel for the Tower City areas. But Larry, when is that bypass going in supposedly? It's probably going to be another year and a half, two years before they break ground. Uh, but the, th the thought on three, on six, is that whole area could become just a river park and not have Caltrans yard and all that stuff in there, move it out. And so as you come into the basin, you don't see industrial type uses here. You don't see Caltrans. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I did. Actually, I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you can apologize. Yeah, I'll apologize. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sorry. I, I thought it was just a ploy, so I had to pay for lunch. We're counting on you. So on that note, in summary, no, I'm kidding. Um, timeline uh, update. Um, 
administrative draft documents and the beginning of the environmental analysis uh, that um, timelines for uh, you know, the spring 2014. Uh, we will then um, be uh, coming back before your planning commission for deliberations on the public review um, draft documents in the fall, uh, fall or winter of, um, of this year, 2014, uh, targeting a board adoption of uh, May of next year, 2015. Um, after that um, board adoption, uh, we'll be submitting to uh, TRPA, as I stated, you know, we'll need to, TRPA will make, need to make the determination that the area plans are, are in conformance with their regional plan update. Um, as I stated earlier, uh, the um, draft review um, community plan policy document uh, common end, uh, period ended uh, June 23rd. We did receive uh, comments uh, from Le Leap to Save Lake Tahoe, Friends of the West Shore, as well as the Tahoe Area Sierra Club. Um, next steps are to uh, release the notice of preparation for the EIR EIS and to uh, prepare, begin the preparation of the administrative draft uh, area plans. That's the development codes. Um, along the way, we will be conducting uh, public workshops on the draft area plans to seek uh, public uh, comment and. Um, as I was speaking to earlier on the parking management plan area, um, we will also be um, asking for public uh, input on that, but that process will be uh, running concurrent with the uh, area plan um, preparation. So with all that, um, this last slide, one of the things I should have mentioned on the uh, one of the first slides, uh, our uh, website, uh, the county's website, uh, we continue to maintain that and update that with the most um, current information. It's always a great source for people to go to. Um, but we also have here, um, Crystal Jacobson is a great contact for uh, any of the information on the community plan update. And her information is uh, included there. And then lastly, if anyone uh, wishes to have copies of the uh, PowerPoint presentation, we can make that available as well. So um, well, thank, thank you. you. Any questions? No. Good job. Steve ended this up to his eyebrows. He goes to all those meetings and stuff. Yeah, but he's had enough money for lunch. If there's no other Did you, uh, public comment. comment. Oh, there she is. She does. Okay, we will have public comment for those that choose to comment. Thanks. This is what we've been waiting for. This is actually what we came for. But um, anyway, thank you. Um, I've been on the community plan team for North Tahoe East for two years. And I really uh, was disappointed when we didn't have a chance to do scale and density because we thought that was so important as part of the planning process and, and our teamwork. Our teams really did real well. We did height. We did use. And we, we uh, so anyway, we've gone to um, Supervisor Montgomery and she's allowed to let us finish our job. And uh, we're hoping all the other teams, she said we'll all get a chance, like a half day or a day meeting to do that so we could just finish up so we'd have a complete uh, job product. So that's, um, we're hoping that's what's going to happen. And uh, on as far as the policy document, also we, we were told that we would be given the chance to review our team work before it was released to the, pro to the public so we could make sure it was right. 
So that would be good. And uh, we're hopeful that's going to happen. And then the other thing was on the policy document for the area plans, we were concerned, a number of us, that part of the policy was the expansion of North Star and Homewood ski areas. And we thought that that should really be a project level policy. You know, when it comes forward, it shouldn't just be a general policy for Placer County to promote expan further expansion of those ski areas. Then they were also um, including uh, doing an environmental review, and this is a totally new idea of converting commercial floor area into TAUs, and there's about 350,000 square feet of commercial floor area left in the regional plan, and another 200,000 square feet that's been allotted. So that could just be, you know, uh, Placer County doesn't feel they have enough TAUs. They only think they have about 1,400. They can't really find uh, an adequate number. That may be the case, and they're doing an analysis, but I don't know that this should be part of the policy either until it's really completely capacity and existing inventory is. So there's some stuff that is, uh, needs to really be looked at, and uh, thank you for letting me comment. Okay. Ellie Waller. Good afternoon, Ellie Waller, member of the North Tahoe West Plan team. I attended each and every meeting with Steve. I've been to every single one. I've turned in hundreds of pages of comments that staff is still addressing. And I'm wondering um, when we'll be getting the policy document back for review. Um, uh, again, the teams have only met six times in a team-structured meeting. Then there's been town center meetings, there's been workshops, and the teams, as Ms. Nichols um, mentioned, have not been given the document back. We were given the document as a draft in November of 2012, and we are still waiting for that back. She also mentioned we did speak with Supervisor Montgomery, and she has subsequently spoken with Planning Director Michael Johnson, and we will be afforded a meeting that is yet to be scheduled after the um, staff incorporates the technical committee meeting um, reviews of the policy document and all our comments. The consultant still has to incorporate all that. Um, the opportunity sites um, aren't necessarily part of the area plan. It's uh, a process that's being looked at uh, through the policy document. So some of those areas are points of contention that you will hear a lot about. Um, uh, the golf course is an example. Right now it is not part of the existing community plan the Tahoe City Golf Course, and they're asking that through the policy document that be analyzed. It still may not be added, so that opportunity site may not be identified. The devil's in the details here, and uh, again, I take a lot of time and effort to read these environmental documents, and um, I do comment on a regular basis, and you'll see me often. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Ellie. Thank you. Anyone else? Seeing no one else? If there's no other comments by any board members that feel they need to expound on, we're adjourned. We're adjourned. <laughs>